The electric chair. I cut people up. Welcome once again to The Electric Chair. Thank you for listening. My name is Midnight Corey. And, uh, man, we have another great show for you this week. Going to be a lot of fun. Talk to a lot of really, really cool people. I'm excited. I'm really excited for you to hear all this. Um, so I'm just going to go through a few things here at the beginning. Then we're going to launch into the show because time is short for me this week. There's a lot going on. So I need to get out of here. <laughs> but there's a lot for you that I'm going to leave you with while I go do other things. But anyhow, uh, please remember that uh, we have the Troll Hunter Blu-ray contest going on, courtesy of my friend Florida Possum. Uh, all you have to do to enter this giveaway is to let me know that you want to enter. And that's it. Yeah, it's as easy as that. So send me an email, uh, something on Facebook or Twitter or uh, via the contact form on the website. And all this is available uh, at uh, electricchairshow.com, of course. And uh, yeah, yeah. So thank you again to Florida Possum for offering to give away that awesome, awesome Blu-ray. Very, very cool. Uh, something else very cool that happened this past week is the newest ZA Wrecked zombie book just came out. It's called Survivors, The Morning Star Strain. This is, of course, book three in his trilogy. Now, you might be saying to yourself, well, how did that happen? Didn't ZA pass away here a couple years ago? And I will answer you why, why yes, he did. And it's actually very sad because uh, he, he was a fantastic guy. But uh, I believe he had had most of this finished before he passed away, and a ghostwriter stepped in, uh, Tom Brannon, and uh, finished the book, and I, I can't wait to get to it. I had pre-ordered it, and it just came out, I think, last, uh, last Tuesday, and uh, man, oh, I can't wait to get into this thing. So uh, I know a couple other of you guys have also got the book, but I do recommend that uh, you buy this, and if you have not read any of his other books, uh, man, they're just fantastic so uh, seek out the rest of this trilogy for sure uh, fantastic books i can't wait to get into this so yeah pick that up i'll have a link uh to this on uh for where you can get it on amazon uh on the show notes um there is a way down in chinatown teaser trailer that they have up you know i've been talking about this in, in several of the episodes and uh, it's something that i think is really really cool looking is really exciting a uh, friend of the show maria olson is involved in it and of course you know we, we had talked to uh, eric michael kochmer the the director so this looks like a really really fun project and they put up a teaser uh which i think you should go see it's on youtube and uh looks like a lot of fun the more i see and read about this the more excited i get about it so yeah and you i, I believe there are still ways that you can contribute uh to the movie and uh, to see that it gets better and better and better so very awesome okay here's what we got for you this week first of all uh, a while back, um, I did a couple movie reviews with Dave from Devour the Podcast, and uh, you're going to hear those this week. He comes on for a segment. We review Resurrection County from 2011 and also The Bleeding House from 2011. Now, these were two movies that uh, I had no idea about. I'd never seen them before. I knew nothing about them, but I knew they were relatively new, and I knew Dave wanted to do a segment with me, so I'm like, dude, uh, let's just review these two movies, see what happens. And we did, and in fact, um, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna try not to spoil our reviews too much, but we really, really liked The Bleeding House so much that uh, we hooked up with the director, uh, Philip Gillette, 
and he was so kind as to come on the show and speak with me. So you're going to hear those reviews, and then you're going to hear the director, Philip Jalot, come on, and uh, a fantastic guy. And uh, so, yeah, that is really exciting. Then finally, I have another movie review that I do with my good friends, Eric and Anna Lowther. Um, of course, uh, Eric is an author. Anna's an author as well. And um, they are fantastic people. And I know you, I've talked about them a lot before, and a lot of you guys know them. Uh, fantastic people. We review The Theater Bazaar, 2011. It's an anthology film. Very interesting film, and I get their take on it, and uh, it, it's a lot of fun. So sit back and enjoy this week's edition of The Electric Chair. This is Jamie from Devour the Podcast. Do you enjoy horror commentary with straightforward honesty? This is just a bad movie. This is not at all good in any any way, shape, or form. Because there's one word I have to describe this movie, and it is derivative. Humor and an obvious passion for the genre. I was in search of the stop button. Yeah, I know. <laughs> in search of a plot. That's what this movie should be called. You're right. Uh. So, zero out of five. Fuck this movie. Don't watch it. <laughs> then you should spend time with David and me as we discuss horror films from old classics. Deep Red. The Dunwich Horror. Maniac. To new favorites. Event Horizon. House of the Devil. Slaughter Night. Come listen to Devour the Podcast. Check us out on iTunes or at devourthepodcast.blogspot.com. Devour the Podcast is a proud member of the Horrorphilia Podcasting Network. Well, just recently, I've become a fan of this uh, really, really cool podcast, Devour the Podcast. Um, it's one that uh, has two fantastic hosts. Of course, uh, we've heard Jamie on the show before. Fantastic, fantastic uh, podcaster and very knowledgeable about film and horror. Had a great time talking with her. But tonight, it's extra special. I get to talk with the other half of Devour the Podcast and someone that I've wanted to talk to now for, for a long time because I just couldn't wait to talk horror with him, but I welcome right now Cenobite Dave, David from Devouring the Pod, Devour the Podcast. I'm sorry, I can't even get <laughs> it's it right. Quite all right. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's quite like, all right, Corey. Uh, uh, it's great to finally sit down and talk with you, man. Oh well, thank you. This is like a Saturday night, so I'm sure you have a lot of other better things to do than uh, skyping with me. Uh, nah, not so. particularly. <laughs> this is this is like my life. This is like my hype. This is you know the time of the week when I'm just going wild. You know, a lot of people go out to bars. You know, they party, they do whatever. I talk about horror movies with other horror fans, and that's <laughs> how I get my kick on a Saturday night. You know, so what can you do? But thank you again, man, for uh, for coming on here, and um, we're going to talk about a couple movies, and and um, but before we get into that, um, devour the podcast. Fantastic! I love the work that you guys are doing over there. Thank Just you. recently became a fan, and uh, now I listen uh, religiously. Um, <laughs> you've been going through uh, the Sleepaway Camp movies, yes, and yes, that's you've created a bit of controversy with your opinions on that, right. which I love. Yeah. <laughs> um, so tell me, where are you at right now? You're you're about to wrap it up, I think. Right? Uh, yes, we start. Uh, we're recording this coming Monday to wrap up with uh, Return to Sleepaway Camp. Uh, typically, we record on Wednesdays, but uh, some things got shuffled around for this coming week. Um, but yeah, it's been uh, it's been a it's it's been tough because on the one hand, it's a it's a it's a short franchise, so it's relatively quick to get through. Mm -hmm. But coming after you know after the third one, I was really getting to the point where it's like, oh god, we have like two more weeks of this fucking series to go. <laughs> getting so tired of watching these movies, and then. 
we watched the survivor this past episode and oh (laughs) if you haven't heard that one yet that's about 20 the last 20 minutes of the show is just us bitching about how horrible that was i love it so and i'm and jamie hasn't seen return yet so that'll be interesting but i have yeah i have less than stellar things to say about that one (laughs) yeah Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But that's that's a lot of fun. Do you have any any big uh, plans coming up? Anything uh, you can give me a sneak peek of uh, what you're planning um, on doing next after a sleepaway camp? We're probably going to take about a month off to just do random movies um, to kind of break up the monotony of a, of a franchise. I'm thinking about possibly doing a series. Uh, we've been talking about doing a series of foreign horror films. Uh, we've talked about doing some other franchises, probably Friday the 13th at some point, uh, probably the Hellraiser franchise at some point. Nice. Um, I've been talking about wanting to do a, a not-quite-horror series of movies that are deal with themes that would be considered horror but aren't considered horror movies. Uh, Science of the Lambs would be an example, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. And I'm really into trying to do an episode about uh, kid-friendly horror, stuff like Monster Squad, and you know, stuff that, for because I know a lot of podcast listeners... And some of my fellow podcasters have kids, and it's, you know, I don't, but I, I know that it, being a horror fan, it's kind of like you want to bring the younger generation into it, and it's like, well, how do you do it without, you know, traumatizing them, so. Yeah, and that's that's brilliant, because that's kind of the situation I'm finding myself in. I'm a, I'm a new father. I have an 18-month-old, and oh, wow. uh, yeah, so it's like, it's the kind of thing where I can't wait to start introducing him to horror, <laughs> but man, it, it, it's really rough. You know, yeah. uh, just finding things that are kid friendly, and you know, you brought up Monster Squad. That's a great one, and there, there are a few others there, but it's really tough. Yeah. And especially you can't experiment, and you can't just try things new. Yeah. With <laughs> with a kid, I mean, geez. But um, so that's really great. I'd be really interested to hear what uh, what you come up with. Yeah. Um. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I know you're having a lot of fun over there and, and I do really appreciate the, the hard work that uh, you and Jamie are putting into it. It's a great oh, show. You. And uh, of course, everybody listening right now needs to go and, and listen right now, hands down. You're going <laughs> to love it. So, um, but yeah, we're going to talk about a couple movies here tonight. And, and David, by the way, I, I forgot to tell you uh, before we get started here, but mm-hmm. uh, right after uh, the show, before I can put this up on the web, I'm going to need you to uh, fax me over your credentials for why um, you should be reviewing horror. I mean, I'm sorry. I gotta, I gotta ask. I just can't have anybody, you know, coming on the show. I mean, you know, because horror. I completely understand. You have to be certified. This is, this is serious business here. This is, this is, and you know, if uh, if somebody knows that I brought a non-certified horror reviewer uh, onto my show, you know, that could have horrible things. As they'll far as they'll take away your credentials and they'll just cancel your show. It'll be all over. Yeah, your, and your, it's, your career will be ruined. Yeah, yeah the, the whole image of the podcast will be tarnished. And I just can't have that. So, you know, I, I hope you understand. Uh, of course, yes, of course. Yes, so I appreciate that. <laughs> anyhow, anyhow, let's see. Uh, a couple movies. Um, and it's really cool because I kind of put a call out there for people to, you know, come on and review movies for me. And you're like, dude, let's let's do it sometime. And I'm, I, I'm like, dude, I'm just going to throw a couple new releases your way. And uh, if you don't mind, let's just see what happens. And you were kind enough to kind of accept the challenge here, having no idea. Oh, yeah. You know, neither of us had, had seen either of these prior to watching them for the show. Yes. Um, and these are relatively new. So uh, let's talk about this first one here. Uh, it's available on DVD right now. It's from 2011 called Resurrection County. And uh, again, I saw this on the new release list here in the past couple months. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
you know, read the synopsis and I'm like, okay, this could be good. You know, it seems to have been produced professionally enough. And, you know, so uh, let's let's give it a shot. Um, so uh, could you give us maybe a, maybe a, a quick rundown of what we see here? It doesn't have to be crazy, crazy detailed or anything. Cause I mean, it, it, it's actually uh, quite simple. What, yeah, <laughs> what it's, happens? Uh, a group of, I'd say maybe 20 somethings, late twenties, maybe early thirties, um, brother and sister and their, um, their respective others go out camping and, um, they run afoul of the typical hillbilly, uh, evil hillbillies out in the woods. That's pretty much it. Yep, and you know exactly where it's going the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it was one of these things that you had sent this. You had sent me the the information about it, and I really hadn't read anything about this before I watched it. I just sat down and watched it, so I had no idea what I was getting into. Hmm. All I had was a title, and I was like, "Okay, Resurrection County. This could be interesting." Yeah. And it starts. It starts out pretty well with the intro. It's it talk. It's got these you know news clippings of a about this preacher, and I'm like, oh, this might be kind of interesting. You know, we're gonna possibly deal with the, some supernatural elements or something. Yeah. And then it becomes crazy rednecks in the woods, and I'm like, God damn it! I know it's it was one disappointment after another because yeah, like Resurrection County. I'm like I'm like you, man. I'm thinking, ooh. We're going to have some sort of back from the dead, like maybe supernatural thing. They're going to bank on they're in Resurrection County and and sort of make some parallels. Yeah, there. I was thinking just maybe a pet cemetery type of angle, yeah. something. Yeah. And, and then, then you... they're, and they're introducing the preacher. I'm like, OK, this might be interesting. And then he doesn't show up till like halfway through the movie. And he's a great character. Uh, right, right. Yeah, like, he was probably my favorite character in the whole whole film most interesting yeah, but, and stuff but that's not yeah, saying but, a lot really yeah and even then it's like most of his dialogue wasn't that great and it was yeah. like yeah he was good but at the same time michael parks did it better in red state and that's you know mm. the only thing nice i can say about red state <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i i mean this it was predictable yes um, it had a, a lot of shock value in it. i mean there were a couple I didn't expect him to kill that one girl. Uh, it kind of in, in the when they were still at the camp and the rednecks were coming yeah. in. I didn't. I didn't expect that to happen. So there are a couple surprises there. Like, oh, I didn't think he'd do that. But for all intents and purposes, man, it was just a lot of shock with not a whole lot behind it. Not a lot of story. I mean, it just, it just, it was stupid. It was this cult of rednecks in the woods led yeah. by this old guy and he he was a kind of a bible thumper but he had kind of his own interpretation of scripture and what it meant and how he ran things and mm -hmm. and uh you saw the typical kind of oh just stereotypes you know you're you're just feeding off of the fears of you know rural redneck yeah, kind of people it, yeah, i've seen this all before exactly uh. I'm, get, I'm getting so sick of the hillbillies in the woods thing it's like yes redneck horror can be good occasionally you know texas chainsaw is a perfect example of you know the crazy redneck family out out, and out in the middle of nowhere but this one it was just like they run they run afoul of the two rednecks out in the you know the first time you're like okay fine and then it just keeps going and going and nothing interesting is happening particularly i will say in the film's defense, they I was glad they didn't go with they they went with an implied rape scene instead of actually showing mm -hmm. it because I was expecting them to just fucking show it and they went with implied, which I appreciated. Um it, technically it was well produced, yeah. but there were a couple times when they would do that stupid freeze frame for no real reason. Yeah. Oh I know. I was just like, why? They just it, that was aggravating. Yeah. None of the characters were particularly 
particularly likable, and Sam especially pissed me off in the beginning. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't like any of them, you know, and it, yeah. it, it's one of those things where, oh, okay, I realize that everyone's going to die at the end, and I just couldn't yeah. wait to see how they died, you know? Uh, yeah, honestly, <laughs> about halfway through the movie, I was just like, I really hope all of these characters die. Not because I didn't, well, I liked a few of them, but it was like, I just hope you die because of all the shit you've already gone through. Just, just kill them <laughs> off and be done with it. The sooner yeah. these people die, the sooner this movie will be over. I could stop watching it. Yeah, and I mean, thankfully, again, a, a positive here because I'm really trying to reach and grasp for positives. Mm-hmm. But uh, there, it, there wasn't a happy ending. You know, it was a very dark, bleak ending, which I like in horror. You know, oh, yeah. it, it wasn't all happy resolved. You know, and um, because a lot of films that have these happy endings, you kind of know the people who are going to survive. And mm-hmm. you know who's going to be there at the end and that they're going to, you know, s- survive throughout all these crazy circumstances and mm-hmm. walk off into the sunset and it's going to be okay. But, uh, yeah, pretty much everybody dies. They killed everybody off. And uh, yeah. even the people they didn't kill off, they're just being led right back to the slaughter. Yeah. And I was, when it got to the end, I was like, yeah, this is, it's the only ending that this movie should have because it makes sense. Yeah, and it wasn't. It was just the whole thing just it felt like it kept going and it was never there was never anything happening that had my interest enough to keep me wanting to continue watching other than because I was going to be reviewing it. I was just right right. after about 20 minutes. I was like, if I wasn't reviewing this for for, you know, a show, I wouldn't have finished this. I would have turned this off. Yeah, because it was just it, it was killing me. Well, there was no development of, of no. character whatsoever. I mean, things stayed the same from beginning mm-hmm. to end. Exactly. You know, and that's so much of what uh, makes a great horror story is is being about the characters and how they're affected by the circumstances and how they change as a yes. result of going through all these horrible things. Um, but we saw no change. I didn't care. Um, mm-hmm. It was just people going through these terrible things. I mean, it's what, you know, I, I hate this term that's kind of come into the to the mainstream horror that a lot of people use, but it's like a torture porn kind of thing. Oh yeah. You know? I, <laughs> I hate that term so much. And yeah. I, I remember the, you mentioned on an episode that you, you hated that term and I was just like, Oh, thank God. There's somebody else who hates that as much as I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, a lot of people though, who don't know any better would call it that. Yeah. And so it's, that's what this is. I think it's just um, filmmakers trying to bank on a lot of what's going on in horror anymore and a lot of what has worked in the past with certain movies mm-hmm. and it's I, I think this is a big mishmash of, of a lot of yeah. horror elements that yeah it never uh, felt coherent there was uh, never any it was just rednecks in the woods and oh hey here's a sprinkling of this weird religious thing and it was like yeah. it's just rednecks in the woods it was redneck hostel, basically. Yeah, yeah. That's I, that's what I thought of it about halfway through. I'm like, so I'm watching Redneck Hostel. You know, this was yeah. great the first time I, the first two times I saw it when Eli Roth did it. <laughs> you know, I don't. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. And uh, it was it was done. I think if they would have dirtied this up a little bit, like made it a little grittier, um, because it was very well produced, like you said. Yeah. But if they would have made the shooting not so great, if they would have made it a little bit shakier, and I'm not saying like shaky cam, like found footage shaky cam stuff, but I'm yeah. I'm saying like uh, you you use a little bit, you know, not as good a stock of film in this, and you kind of do that, it would have helped, kind of, it would have helped this a little bit. But then again, I mean, not a lot 
help could help this story. But as yeah, far as the was, visual, you know, it was you know maybe too clean, maybe too well done, even. So yeah, didn't have a lot going for it, man. It Just, really didn't. And I mean, like I said, that when they did try to do those little bits of flair of interesting, you know, shots where they would do the freeze frame and stuff, it just it didn't work. The yeah. couple scenes where they use shaky cam was kind of annoying. And I'm typically very much against shaky cam when it's not needed. Yeah. Um, and then I have also said that when it's done right, I enjoy it. Like in Slaughter Night, which we reviewed this past week, mm. had a lot of shaky cam, but was done brilliantly. This one, it was just, it was everything, it was, it was derivative for one thing. It was a lot of things that I'd already seen done before in another every a bunch of other horror movies done better mm-hmm. and while there were characters who were kind of interesting the the preacher the um the one son who was the kind of the smarter of the hillbillies yeah. was kind of an interesting character um but it just nothing ever gelled and there were quite a few continuity errors in this movie <laughs> that yeah. i kept catching yeah especially with the the son who was smoking like in uh, one scene his hands are bloody and then they're not <laughs> And it's just like, did nobody bother to check the dailies at all? Yeah, no, apparently not. It was, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, oh, I'm sorry that I brought this up for review. Um, <laughs> oh, it's quite all right. I mean, yeah. it happens. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, should we go on here? I mean, this is... There's uh, really nothing else to say. I, I mean, I watched it last night. I, I'm drawing a blank on most of what happened. I mean, it was gory. The, the special yeah. effects were good, but That's there was all it no. Was. Yeah, it was all special effects. I had no emotional investment in any of the characters. You know, I had no attachment to anybody. You know, at the towards the end when when they have that moment, it's supposed. To, I, I assume it's supposed to be an emotional moment. Yeah. When the you think they're going to get away, and the one character gets killed, it's just like, eh, okay, just uh, uh, okay, I guess. Yeah, you know, there was just. It, it didn't clicked. Yeah, it, yeah. That scene. I mean, it should have had a whole lot more impact than it did, mm. because in, it, when you think about it, actually, what happened that should be shock. I mean, that should have really rocked you and said, yeah. "Wow, man! That, wow, I can't believe that happened, man!" But yeah, you're just like, "Ah, oh, well, yep. There she died. Okay. Yeah. Well, what next?" And, and it wasn't necessarily that any of the actors were bad, no. um, because Lucy was a good actor. The girl who played Lucy was good. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy, uh, not the guy who played Sam. Sam was annoying as shit. The other guy uh, <laughs> was—I liked him. He was a good actor. Yeah, Tommy or whatever. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, but I didn't buy the dynamic of him and and Sam being best friends. It just no. it never clicked. That, that whole four wheeling thing. I mean, I I just didn't. Uh, yeah, I didn't. That was buy such it. a contrived argument about you're supposed to be my best friend, man. Oh, that was so dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh God, seriously. And I, I, that's when it's like that was going on. I was like, okay, that was before we really had an idea of this just was going to be Redneck Hostel. I was like, okay, well, something's going to happen. Oh, fuck, Rednecks. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, I know. I couldn't believe that they just settled for what this was. Yeah. Um, oh, man. So, uh, I don't know. What do you give it out of 10? I mean, can you give it anything? <sighs> on a technical side... Like I said, the gore, the, the special effects were fine. The cinematography was fine, other than the really stupid use of of um, freeze framing. So for that, I give I, it bumps it up a little bit. But this is really there's no reason to see this. I give this a two. 
Mm-hmm. And that's being kind because of the technical technical side of it. Otherwise, I wouldn't bother watching this again. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Absolute waste of time. Um, it was produced competently and it was was produced well i think it was just really bad in the writing Mm -hmm. um but uh everything else had there was so much going for it um but it it, it fell flat so i'm going to be even a little bit more kind uh just because i I appreciate the effects uh i appreciate the cinematography and some of what they did even though you're right the freeze frames were dumb um but uh, i'm going to give it a three which is still do not bother to watch this but, uh, you know, I'll at least give it some credit for, you know, at least looking good. Um, but, yeah, that's that's all it has going for it. So, David, I'm hoping the next movie, though, makes up for this. Um, oh, it, it totally did. And this, this has been uh, – this was one that was sitting on my instant queue. Oh, it's been on there for about a month or two or however long it, since it popped up on Netflix instant. I, po- I put it on my queue and I just haven't watched it yet. And then I kept passing it by and passing it by and – yeah, it's, I'm, it's. I'm really glad you brought it up for the show because this was this was the highlight for me for my my viewing last night. I'm I'm glad to hear it. This this is me too. I had it on Netflix, and it's just with Netflix, you you don't know, and there's so much out yeah. there that has potential and could be good. But you know, I've been burned a lot of times by yeah. by Netflix. So it's just things tend to sit in my queue for a long time before I I decide to watch it. And this is one I'm just like, okay, listen. I'm just going to slate this. I'm going to put this up. We're reviewing it on a show, and it's going to like force me to watch it um, yeah. because I didn't necessarily read anything about it. But Netflix, you know, Netflix puts a rating on movies based on what you like and what yeah. you know what it thinks. And it actually rated this highly for me based on other things I've rated highly. Yeah. And uh, but I had I had read none other no other reviews nothing else of what people had to say which I'm actually kind of glad because I've read yeah. I've read some reviews since then and I'm like what you, I, I what saw quite thinking? a few negative reviews on IMDb I was like and I yeah exactly I had the same reaction and the Netflix synopsis is kind of put me off because it's very generic it's yeah yeah it but actually at the same I time, was... it, it makes sense because you if you got too much more into an explanation of it it kind of ruins a lot of what what's going on yeah it doesn't do it justice whatsoever um but uh i'm I'm glad we gave it a shot it's uh the bleeding house um and that is i believe 2011 um this is an indie film and uh wow there is there is a lot going on here a lot to talk about so uh i'll I'll just give a synopsis of of kind of what happens here we see a family that's uh, in in really bad shape um, the father lost his job. Uh, they're strapped for cash. The mother is an artist, but obviously not, uh, you know, not making a ton of cash. Uh, the kids, we got some really weird kids. Um, they have a daughter who is uh, going through a lot of things. She's actually being homeschooled, supposedly, um, but she uh, she won't even go by her her birth name you know gloria she has to go by blackbird or else she won't even pay attention to you and she pins insects to the wall and just uh, is a very strange she has a lot of problems you can tell um the son um whose name i think it's quentin is his name um he's just kind of this angry teenage kid he sneaks his girlfriend into his room all the time and they go out partying a lot and stuff and she's trying to convince him that he just needs to get out get away from the family get away from this town because there's something really horrible that happened in this family's past that uh, is just revealed uh just very in increments 
throughout the movie until you really learn what happened and, and what's going on with this family toward the end. Um, and that is what is really bringing the, the, um, the whole family to its knees. Uh, they've been ostracized by the town that they're in. They're in this small town that uh, has, whatever's happened has really made them look bad. And uh, so they're having a really hard time. Well, so as the family, they're sitting around the dinner table and, of course, having the regular family drama about everything that's going on. Um, there's a knock at the door and this, this strange guy shows up and he's nicely dressed. He's in this nice white kind of satin suit with a nice little hat. And he has this southern draw. Southern he's, gentleman, oh, yes. Yeah, and he speaks so well, so mm-hmm. clearly and... He's very polite, very kind, and he gives them the story that his car broke down, that uh, you know he would like to stay at the house for the night because they can't get a mechanic out there before morning. And, of course, the father is reluctant. He's like, well, strangers, you know, I can't have this. I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to just send you on your way. And he's like, well, I understand. I understand. You can't let strangers in your house nowadays. And uh, so he has some conversation with his wife about it. His wife comes out. And she finally says, okay, let's just let him stay. Let's let him stay. Okay, all right, fine. And this guy's very charming. He is very likable. I mean, he's so polite. His manners are so good. He, uh, he's kind of funny. He's conversational. And uh, this is the kind of guy, I mean, David, you know, you're, I'd kind of like to talk to this guy. You know? Yeah, he'd be he's a lot of very, fun. When I first started watching this, and from the, 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 the Netflix synopsis is very just a stranger shows up at this family's house and you're like, okay, this is something we've seen a million times. Yeah. This is the setup to so many movies. And when he first shows up and he introduces himself as his name is Nick, the first thing that came to my mind when I'm looking at him was like, okay, this is going to be, he's the devil or something. There's something <laughs> yeah. going on with this family. The daughter is, you know, whacked out. He's the devil and he's this nice Southern gentleman. You know, that's the first thing that popped in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's he's very eloquent. He's very polite. He is the epitome of the Southern gentleman. And as he sits down to dinner with them, he's talking, and then he mentions that he's a surgeon. And they're like, <laughs> it's kind of an odd thing. You're like, oh, okay. And this was something that I caught as the within this first, you know, maybe fifteen twenty minutes of the movie that is, is going on as he's there, is he he's talking about his family and how his family had been murdered. And um, I think the line he says is, was referring to his wife was that she was a melancholy woman. And as I'm watching this, it clicked in my head that there's a Nick cave song called the song of joy, which is about a gentleman who basically is comes to this home and ex- tells a story about how his family was murdered one night when he was out as, and he was a doctor. And from that point on, as I was watching this movie, I felt like it had this, the whole thing from there on felt like totally inspired by and was influenced by Nick Cave and the Murder Ballads album especially. But it had that vibe of a Nick Cave kind of movie or song to me, the whole the whole way the movie played out and everything. And the Nick character especially, when I heard, when I, when that clicked in my head, I was like, wow, that's a really cool idea that he did this because it's a, if you've never heard the album, it's a fantastic, beautiful album, um, all about horrible things that have happened to people. <laughs> um, and I highly recommend Nick Cave. He's a fantastic singer. But the Murder Ballads album especially is very much all the songs are kind of story-driven. 
And I'd always thought, you know, wow, you know, it would be really interesting to see someone take one of these songs and turn it into a film of some kind, and you know, either a short film or something. And then as I was watching this, I was like, wow, this was this this story or at least this character is very much inspired by this song because it's Nick's entire story is almost entirely what the what the what the the lyrics of Song of Joy are about you know his wife and the kids and all of that and the details are a little bit different here and there but for the most part it's the same um, but as I was watching this I was just like this is within the first 15 minutes I was like this is awesome you know I love movies about dysfunctional families because they're just fascinating mm-hmm. and I was just blown away by this movie they're, they're, the special effects were fantastic uh, the, the writing was great. The cinematography, it was absolutely a beautifully shot film. Yes. All the actors were amazing. Um, Gloria, especially. She. Yeah. I seem to think I've seen her in something, but I can't place where. I was and looking I, this up. I was um, going through IMDb. She's actually uh, on a soap opera, I hmm. think. So, I, I mean, you can tell. I mean, I'm not going to judge you. I mean, are you, are you like a soap opera fan? Because that's completely cool if you are. You know. It's... No, I. You know, I think it just. It. It's, she's got a face that looks vaguely familiar. Yeah, I got the same. I got the same. Uh, yeah, impression. It's like, it was kind of the same way I felt when I was watching um, Resurrection County. I was looking at Lucy. I was like, she looks kind of familiar. But I looked her up on IMDb. I was like, nope, I've not seen anything else she's been in. Yeah. But she, Gloria, is. At first, when I when we were first introduced to her, I really didn't like her because I was like, "Oh, she's just an obnoxious teenager." Yeah, yeah. But, but as it goes along, and as Nick, yeah, don't, without spoiling anything, as Nick kind of talks to these to the family, it's just like this is incredibly strange and really, really well thought out. Mm-hmm. And the ending, especially, was just oh my god. Oh, I never saw it coming. A, I mean, I know. And and the last, oh, those last three <laughs> minutes was just perfect. That that's the kind of ending I love to see in a movie like this because I am so against having everything explained to me. I hate yes. when I try to you know whenever there's a serial killer in a movie or something, they always try to explain why they're a certain way. I don't need that. You can simply just present them as being this horrible human being, and that's just who they are. That's right. fine. I don't need them, you know, their whole life story is they, you know, were molested as a child or they were beaten or whatever. Just people are, some people are just fucked up. <laughs> exactly. And giving me that answer is perfect in most cases. Right, right. And I, I, I love being like forced to have mm. to think about things and to exactly. draw my own conclusions and kind of form my own backstory a lot of times. And, and, that, and this movie does that. There's yes. no easy answers in this film. And that seems to be the the biggest complaint from the the reviews I read for the negative reviews where people were saying, you know, this didn't make sense. It was too slow, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, it's not slow. It is, it is kind of slow, but it's deliberately paced. It's not. Yeah. It never, it never drags. Resurrection County dragged the entire fucking time. Mm -hmm. This one, just everything moves at a good pace and it keeps you pulling you in deeper and deeper as it goes along. Right, right. Because you're constantly questioning things. Because exactly. little by little, the game changes, mm-hmm. and you think you you know what's going on, and then all of a sudden something's revealed, and so you're kind of taken another direction. 
and you're like, well, what, okay, what's going on now? And then more things are revealed and you're taking yet another direction. And then it, it just, mm-hmm. it keeps you questioning, like, what's going on here? Like, what is Nick's thing? I mean, who is this guy? Yeah. And why is he here with this family? Because we we come to understand that he's there for a reason. Yes. Um, it's not just a random occurrence. And uh, some really crazy things are revealed with Gloria. And, of course, like I said, the backstory of the family, all these horrible things that happened in the past that had to do with a fire and, and infidelity and all, all this crazy stuff. And we get that very quickly in the beginning. We get that first inclination of some of the fire in the very beginning. And it's like, oh, that's just an interesting shot to, to just a quick montage of shots to throw out there. Yeah. Yeah. And then later on it becomes more, it becomes more clear of what happened. And then, you know, that there was this house that burned down. You're like, oh, okay. And like you said, nothing, everything is revealed as the film goes along and it keeps changing because you get a little bit of information, but it keeps flipping and turning. And it finally, once it comes to, when Nick's explaining what's going on prior to the last, his final explanation of things, <laughs> it was a very interesting, I was like, Oh wow, this is really interesting. And then when you get to the, his final explanation, you're just like, Oh my God. And this was just, and the guy playing Nick was just brilliant. Uh, yes. Absolutely amazing. Yes. A, a lot of things I'm hearing, a lot of complaints are about him and his accent and how like there's some people out there who are like he was so out of place in this i mean what did what did that's they just the yank him out of a, a you know a, a mark twain book <laughs> and that's but that and that was the thing is that he, he this wouldn't have worked if he'd just been a regular guy mm-hmm. just the whole his whole introduction where he's saying you know oh you know when the father says you know why aren't you you know nobody travels these back roads he's like oh you know well i'm going from wherever to you know i'm going out west and i got sick of the 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 highway system and you're like okay that kind of makes sense you know he seems like a kind of a kind of an odd sort of thing to say but you know okay that makes sense this guy is taking the back roads because it's more scenic and you know he's going out west all right fine just that whole the whole gentlemanly thing is what gets him in and then when things start to happen within that well, once he's in and it starts to things start to change it's that's what helps drive it because he sets you up he brings you in especially for me when i was watching it he's he comes across as being a very gentlemanly nice guy and then everything turns on a dime and you're like oh shit and it keeps <laughs> going like that well yeah and and what's funny is when things do turn he is still composed that way He's still speaking that way. It's not like all of a sudden he turns into, you know, like his his mood changes and he, he starts speaking differently. You know, there's there's not a switch that flips. Because while he starts doing these terrible things toward the end of the movie, he's still speaking very properly. You know, his manners are still quite quite nice, despite what yeah. he's doing. Oh, um, yeah. And it's so funny. And so it's that it's that contrast between... This guy that you really trust, that you really like, uh, very well-spoken, like we've said. Um, and what he does and what he represents, ultimately, mm-hmm. that contrast is what makes it so brilliant. And you're right. I mean, they, they could not have done this any other way to have this sort of effect. It was right. perfect. Absolutely and perfect. Like I said, when, I, when, when the realization clicked that, you know, this character was based on that song and 
that really pulled the whole thing together for me. And as I said off the air to you, I I um, sent a tweet to the director of this, and I was like, I have to. I asked him, I was like, you know, I have to know. Did you base this movie on Song of Joy? And he's like, Yes, Nick is in fact based on that song, and you know, not a lot of people catch that. And I was like, <laughs> That's that explains everything because if if you've listened to that song or you've listened to any of Nick Cave's stuff, it's all very melancholy, very very dark, but also very beautifully written, and it's just the whole flow of this story and the way everything goes. And especially this character, Nick very much is a character who steps right out of, he's literally the embodiment of a Nick cave song, just a very, not at all what he seems type of person. He's a gentleman, but there's something not quite right about him. And then as you, things keep going, it just keeps changing. And it was just, it was an, probably one of the, this was one of the best, best movies I've sat and watched recently. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, and that that has a lot to say for the director. He, uh, you know, I saw that exchange over Twitter, and that that was just the the coolest thing. I mean, this is a guy, and I think this is one of his first features. I mean, this I, is, I think so. Yeah, and um, I, I guess it was relatively low budget, um, from what I'm reading. You know, Which uh, although it you can't tell. Yeah, it's like I said when I was sitting and watching. I was like, first, immediately, it's beautifully shot, mm-hmm. and it's the scenes are composed. There's no if this is his first feature, it doesn't show at all. Right. Because there is no, there's never any moments that come across as being off or something yeah. that a, a first time filmmaker or mistakes that a first time filmmaker might make. You know, everything seems very methodical and very well thought out and well planned. And there's a, seems to be a rhythm to how the movie moves and flows. Yeah. He has a great grasp on yeah. how to tell a story and how very to much. engage you. And uh, wow, I, I, I got to give him props for that. And especially, I mean, again, for on Twitter, you know, you just mention him mm-hmm. and uh, he he responds to you. And you said he started yeah. following you just because yeah. you said, uh, you know, you, you kind of got into a discussion about his film. And uh, that says a lot for him because a lot of these, you know, a lot of directors, a lot of even actors and things like that. You know, you start following them on Twitter and you even try to start a conversation with them on Twitter. You mention them and ask them a question or something and you're lucky to hear anything at all yeah. you usually won't but uh this guy he actually uh went back and forth with you a couple times yeah. and uh that's really really great and then i i just started following him because i saw what you guys were doing and i'm like oh this is a guy worth following so i did and within a few minutes he started following me so i'm like yeah. dude wow what a guy what a guy <laughs> so made a great movie and uh you know it seems like he he likes uh talking with his fans and, and hooking up with uh, with people that are interested. So, yes, definitely. Uh, yeah. But, um, you know, we, we talked about the great production on this. Uh, cinematography, visually, it was great. Um, but uh, something I also really liked was the real subtle music. Um, I don't know if you noticed, it was just very tastefully placed throughout the film, and it wasn't overbearing. We didn't have a lot of loud stabs of music and, and crazy things like that. But uh, the whole thing was very subtle and really, really cool. A lot of kind of cello kind of stuff going on. Yeah. And uh, I, I really dug it. I thought it was really effective. Made it kind of spooky. You know, not not haunted house spooky, but kind of eh, kind of uncomfortable a little bit. Yeah. 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 So uh, I don't know if you noticed that, but I you really know, dug I, it. I probably, I probably, it probably registered while I was watching it. But as I was thinking about it just now, I was like, I couldn't. 
I could not bring up any, I just could not remember any of the music from the movie. I was just, I don't remember it for some reason. I was just so focused on the story and what was going on mm-hmm. and just the interaction of the characters that I was just, everything else just sort of got tuned out, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, while this movie, you know, again, is very psychological. We talked about it because it's so story-driven, so character-driven with Nick and Gloria, especially those are the two characters that are most interesting. Um, that isn't to say that there's not horror here and a lot of blood, some great scenes of, like, stabbings and, and things like that that they pulled off really, really well. Yeah, the um, special effects were really, really impressive. And I wasn't expecting the, there to be that much blood or violence in this as, as there was. I mean, granted, it's a movie called The Bleeding House, but when when it opened with that Tribeca um, film festival thingamajig uh, at the beginning, I was just like, okay, it's going to be an art movie. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. And it's called The Bleeding House. I'm like, okay, maybe there will actually be blood in this. Who knows? And then there's quite a bit of blood. And it was like, oh, wow. And then, you know, when when there's when the violence happens, it's very visceral and it feels very immediate and real. Mm-hmm. Um, by contrast, Resurrection County didn't. It felt fake every time it happened. Um, although the there was that one. Well, fuck Resurrection <laughs> County. That movie was terrible. But this one, I mean, when he um, when uh, the son gets murdered, that was just. A complete mm. shock. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. And then and then Gloria when she just mur- when she bashes that one character's head in with the rock, you're just like, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think it's the contrast, you know, because again, I went into this movie like you, and for the first half, you know, the first three quarters of the movie, you know, I'm thinking, well. Man, maybe I just kind of stumbled on a psychological thriller, you know, yeah. that, uh, you know, something that is going to have some murders in it, maybe something like that, but uh, overall isn't going to really deliver viscerally. But uh, it, it definitely did. Um, yeah. It did. I mean, it's called The Bleeding House, like you said, and there was a lot of blood in yes. it. Uh, there, there was quite a bit. Um, you know, we see, I, I love that scene where um, it was a close up of him actually inserting the needle into the, oh, the, yeah. the person's arm. Um, that looked totally real to me. I mean, that was, that wasn't latex or, you know, some, some dummy. I mean, that looked like that was somebody's arm and I mean, and it very well could have been. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, and I, I hate needles, so that really (laughs) sticks out to me, but, uh, yeah, everything else they did, you know, throats were cut. There were stabbings and you name it. There were a lot of, a lot of violent scenes Yeah, and, uh, they didn't, they didn't skimp on the blood. So this has something uh, for everybody. Yeah, there was the the scene where he's stitching his leg was mm-hmm. that was a pretty intense scene that I was really surprised by. I was like, "Oh, damn." Oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. But that yeah. one, man, close up of him just stitching his his wound together. Oh, yeah, that oh. was Oh god. And it, it it reminded me a little bit of um when I was watching uh, Dead Snow this past week. Oh, when, nice. Uh, when the one character uh He's stitching his neck. Oh, he's stitching his neck closed, and he's yes. wrapping it with duct tape. And it was it was a little unnerving in that one, and kind of funny at the same time because he's just duct tape. But this one, we get that really tight close up, and it's just like, and we get a, we get a pretty good couple of shots of his face, and he never seems to really flinch or show any pain when he's doing. It. He looks uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but he's just you know going at it methodically and just just doing what he has to do. It's just like oh my god, yeah. 
Yeah. I'm not, although I will say that I think his clothing really helped center his character because when he was wearing the the clothing he found in the laundry room, he it that was a very jarring visual yeah. change for his character. But I think it kind of worked. I mean, it, it it made sense within the context, but it, it was a very sort of an off-putting, like you... It seemed wrong, in a sense, for him. That just... is, that's a great point. And I, it's nothing that I'd really thought about before or was really conscious of. But now that you say it, it's amazing. The difference in your perception of his character. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he was wearing those uh, different clothes because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he got some got some blood on his clothes and he needed to <laughs> wash them, which is, I mean, to think about that, it's just hilarious. I mean, he was very... Yeah. <laughs> but again, that was a very much a... a... Uh, a testament to his character of being this very gentleman, you know, being the perfect gentleman. When he gets a little blown on his clothes, he's like, oh, you know, he go, he's dealing with, you know, he's doing this horrible things, but he takes the time to go and wash his clothes because there's blood on them. It's like, no, no one does that in movies. It <laughs> right. never happens. It's like you have even the most psychotic, you know, that's a special kind of like of crazy. Right. That he takes the time to go and you know wash his clothes, and then comes back and gets them later when they're clean. It's just like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, this uh, the, from beginning to end, I was I was drawn into this. Mm-hmm. I, I just loved it. I was interested. It was not slow to me. I thought it was paced brilliantly. Um, exactly the way everything happened, and uh, I did not see it coming. The, the, so many uh, surprises. No. And it wasn't yeah, jump scares. It, it wasn't outbursts of extreme violence that was just put there for the sake of violence. Everything was there for the right reasons mm-hmm. and did it right. So, man, was there anything negative? I mean, you know, we've read a lot of negative reviews, but I think we understand why people would, would say those kind of things in the context of this film um, because – you know, again, we we explained a lot of that, but is is there anything at all that you're like, well, I wish they would have done this differently, or this kind of bothered me, Any, anything like that? No, you know what? Honestly, there weren't. In hindsight, having there were there were moments in the film as I was watching it where I felt things were kind of off. Um, when he was using the the bleeding machine, it seemed kind of weird. Uh, when he changed his clothes initially, that threw me off, and that felt kind of said that seemed to change the, the how things were going but as once i finished the movie it felt like everything that had been everything that had seemed kind of strange or off was very deliberate and had been there had been done that way for a reason and that nothing nothing that had that i had thought seemed strange at the time was anything that i could actually pin down and say that was a negative mm. you know because it just it made sense it eventually made sense. If it didn't make yeah. sense at the time it happened, it made sense as the movie went along. Yeah. And granted, you could say that there was never any real explanation of the, you know, the, the blood in the trunk. Well, but that, that's again, a beautiful thing. I mean, you're just kind of drawn. You're like, oh my god, that's kind of no the need mystique to it. here. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's one of those things that I'm, I'm, I think a lot of people probably saw that and were angry that it wasn't explained. But at the same time, it's like this isn't a movie that needs to explain a lot of things because there is. I'm very much one of those people who likes, you know, as we said, as I said before, I like movies that don't give me all the answers, but there's a fine line between keeping, 
keeping the mystique and being purposely obtuse and obnoxious yeah. about it. Right. And I felt like this one was kept the mystique and gave you enough stuff. It gave you enough answers as things progressed without being it, the things it didn't tell you were things that kept me interested and made me kind of wonder about them. And you could kind of look and create your own explanations for a lot of it. Like the blood in the trunk, at, initially when it wasn't explained at the end, I was like, okay, well, you know, I had my own kind of idea why that was that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course the other character that we, it's only on, who's only in the movie for like maybe two minutes and then murdered. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, oh, okay. And of course she's later explained at the very end as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, I, well, actually, just to address, you know, things that you said there, um, you know, movies like this that really force you to think, um, they border on pretentiousness, you they know, can, yeah. and kind of like indulgence as far as an art form goes. And the artists, they're really trying hard to to really indulge in all these these crazy things. And it, it starts to be pretentious and Mm -hmm. that's another word that came up in a lot of reviews where this was so pretentious because they were trying to do this and that and it was just but uh i think that they did it right it did it was not that way to me at all i've seen far more pretentious movies than this where they're just trying way too hard to be artsy they're trying way too hard to to make you read into things and it just comes off as as bad but they didn't do this i mean they i thought they crafted this just right um but uh, as far as negatives, you brought up that that girl that uh, was murdered, you know, and she was only in the film, you know, for, for a couple minutes and she was in the car in the woods. Um, that is my only negative on this film, because I didn't think that she was strong in the way that she delivered her lines. Like, I'm just like, uh, you know, she was just just not a, a great actress. I didn't think she did a good job. She said her lines and it was. I could see where she was kind of in this brainwashed kind of follower state. And again, I'm trying not to give too much away, but right. uh, you know, she was, she was part of this whole thing with Nick. And so she was kind of, oh, I don't know, kind of in a, a different mindset, but um, I didn't think she did it really well. Um, I could tell that the, the lines were you know, scripted. I could, I just, I didn't yeah. like her as an actress. Yeah, she came across a little, she did come across as being not quite right, but yeah. she don't, but I think it was one of those things that I, at the moment, it was just sort of like, it, it registered at the, at the moment. And then as, after it was over, that was it. It was just gone again. Yeah. Because it was just, it, the movie, it never, dwe- the movie never dwells on anything for too long. And, it doesn't insult your intelligence. It never, you know, it never, right. It never takes its time. You know, it takes its time to tell the story, but it's never, it never, uh, how am I trying to, what am I trying to say? It's never the things that it's trying to show you. It shows you for as long as it needs to, and then continues on without ever, you know, lingering too long on any one thing or lingering for too short of a time on a specific thing. It just, it moves, and as things are revealed, everything starts to make a little bit more sense as it goes along. 
Yeah, yeah. It it respects the audience, like you said. Yes. I mean, it uh, it does not insult your intelligence, just like you said. And I love a movie that does that because mm -hmm. it didn't have to over-explain things. It didn't have to give give backstory like we we've been talking about all along yeah. here. Um, because it realizes that we have brains. I mean, we're watching this film and we can think out here, you know, in mm -hmm. movie watcher land. I mean, we have brains. We can make connections. We can mm -hmm. kind of fill in the gaps. And I love a movie that knows that and says, here you go, play with this. And just, yeah. you know. And, and, and especially the ending, I felt like I, I was, I wanted to, I wanted to sit, stand up and, and if, I felt like if I had been sitting and watching this in a screen, I would have stood up and clapped because it was such yeah. a brilliant ending. Yes. But it was one of those endings where I felt like I know people who would watch this and say that sucked. Yeah. Yeah. Because it would just piss them off because it just, it didn't it didn't give them any answers or they wouldn't have liked the answer that it gave. And it's just, mm -hmm. it was the only, I felt like it was the only ending that it could have had. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think based on what I've been reading online again, you know, I, I, I guess we're in the minority, you know, it's, it's strange, but I watched this and I'm just like, Oh man, I don't know if Dave's going to like this one either. <laughs> oh man, you know, because I really really liked it, but I again, I I can recognize like you did that a lot of people were just going to come away from this and saying what the hell, you know, oh, 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 come on, you know. But uh I don't know. It, it's strange. Um before we get around to to giving our, our ratings for this and and how we'd recommend it, um a big positive for me and this is probably not going to mean anything for you cuz you're not from this this uh, area. But um, I'm from Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania, and um, he's talking. First of all, he he makes a great jab at Cleveland. Uh, <laughs> I am at a a uh, I'm near Pittsburgh. I'm from the Pittsburgh area originally, and uh, we hate Cleveland. We hate it. <laughs> um, and uh, he uh, tells the story of how he's passed through Cleveland. He's from Cleveland, and, right. and he's like, "Have you ever been to Cleveland?" And you know uh, the father. The father says no. I've never been there. And, and uh, yeah, I, I, when he says that line about how it's, uh, what is, he, what did he say it was? It was a. Uh, I, I wish I could remember his exact words. I should have written it down. But something yeah, to the effect, like it's a the, horrible town. It's yeah, yeah. And it was such a brilliantly, and it was, it was so brilliantly. The way he said it was so just, just perfect, and was a, and again at that such an early point in the film a great way to establish his character yes and it just it made me laugh because i was like that's it's really it was a funny line but it also really establishes who he is and it kind of like oh okay he's clearly a religious person of some sort uh. and initially that was that was kind of the first inclination i was like okay maybe he's the devil and yeah. then as we go along we're like okay okay he's a surgeon and all right his family was murdered and then he says the melancholy wife line i was like oh you got this from that song. Aha. And then, of course, as it keeps going, I was like, oh, okay. And he's the only one who refers to Gloria as Blackbird. He's the only one who actually addresses her that way, which I thought was very mm. interesting. Yeah. yeah. And as, of course, as the movie progresses, we find out why. And it was just like, <laughs> he's such a great, such a well-developed character that I was just like, this is just awesome. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's one of those things that it's like, I love movies like this that, they don't insult your intelligence and they give you they give you enough to think about and kind of mull over and you know just look at it and go wow this is really good but they get 
they, as we've both seen online, they get really bad reviews because, frankly, some people are just stupid and they don't want to think. Yeah, exactly. And I, I love movies that we can just talk about. I mean, you sit mm -hmm. here and talk about, and I might have seen things a little bit differently than you, or you know, we, we drew different conclusions from things, and there's yeah. discussion to be had there because, exactly. again, not all, not all the questions were answered. And, and uh, so this was great. Plus, Nick brought up, and this is another thing, a Western PA thing that I had to bring up, he was telling that story of another family that he had stayed with for a while. Mm -hmm. And um, that family happened to be from a town called Butler, Pennsylvania. And I literally grew up 20 minutes from Butler, <laughs> Pennsylvania. And I've been there. I, I went there a lot. There was a mall there that I always went to and a lot of, mm -hmm. a lot of things. So just, just hearing Butler, PA, I'm just like, where did they come up with that? You know, they wrote that into the movie. Did they just mm -hmm. kind of blindly point to a map and say okay this is the town and you know I'm, I'm just wondering but i'm like that was really cool because i i know butler really well um yeah. so you know that kind of stuff to me that it was really really great especially that cleveland jab again you know i got to <laughs> applaud him for that that was awesome but uh you know i think the his one speech that sticks out uh the best in my head that i thought was just was such a great a great bit of foreshadowing is when he's talking to the, to the mother upstairs, when he, she, she's showing him the, her, um, her studio upstairs in the attic. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about how he stayed with this family and the mother was, she was just so, she was, she was crying and he sat down and talked to her and she just told him all these things that she had never told anybody else before. And the next day she was, she was all bright and happy. And the mother asked him, you know, well, did you help her? And he's like, no, the next day I realized that she just put, put up, put up a facade again. And I was just like, the, his, the whole story was just mm. so involved and it was just like, wow. Yeah. And the way he's telling it. And then he, and then of course what happens right afterwards, is just like, Oh, holy shit. <laughs> I think that was my response to a lot of this movie was just, holy shit. Yeah. No kidding. It, this, this thing did not pull any punches and it wasn't afraid to, to you know throw curves that you know made sense once they'd happened it's like you know they'd happen and you're like what the hell and then as it goes along you're like oh okay that makes sense mm -hmm. so it all came together a very very did. smart movie so yes. smart and a lot of people don't want smart they don't want to think you know no, they, they, really they don't, don't want this so Again, a, a lot of people are not going to like this, but I don't care. I, I so much dug it, and it is so cool that you did too. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm so happy to hear that, and it's a, great minds think alike, man. It's you know, <laughs> I mean, hey, that's that's just how it is. So, how would you rate this, man? Out of ten, what do you give it? Uh, I would give this probably a nine. Okay. It's it. I I I'm really I'm always hesitant to give tens because it's. You know, you give a number, you give you give a ten to anything, and then suddenly everyone gets up in arms and starts screaming about how you're wrong. Um, yeah, but this is definitely a film that I give a strong nine. It's damn near perfect, and if I get a copy of it on DVD at some point, I will own it. Mm -hmm. um, definitely would recommend it to people, but I would add the caveat of be aware that you're not. You know, go into it with an open open mind and be ready to think about it as it's happening, and don't just you know sit back. If you don't like artistic horror films or you know thought provoking kind of horror films like this, you're not going to enjoy this at all. 
Yeah, and and it's um it's not a party movie, you know. It's not no. you, you sit down with your buddies with a six pack and you you, you know have a good time. It's not one of those movies. Um, but again, it's not artistic in like Argento and and, yeah. and things like that. I mean, this is this is a whole different kind of beast we're talking about here. It's mm-hmm. it's uh, it is accessible, you know. It, I, yeah. I think you know to a wide audience, it it very much is. Um, but at the same time, it's it's a different. I don't know. Your your typical horror fan will probably be turned off by it. But uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a movie that it's like you said, it is very accessible to it. It's extremely accessible, but it's the kind of film that requires you to be involved the entire time yeah you have to stick with it you have to be engaged and be willing to think about what's going on and to try and process things as they're happening instead of just being a passive viewer you have to be actively thinking about what's going on and being involved in the story and i think nick does that perfectly because once once he starts talking and you kind of as the at the very beginning when he's being introduced and he's talking to the family that had me interested because I wanted to know more about what he was doing, what he was thinking, why he was doing what he's doing. And as things go on, and especially because of the family, Gloria especially, because she comes off initially as just being an obnoxious teenager. But then there's the little things like the, the, the early montage with the, the fire. and We don't really know what that's about at first. And then the mother is cutting up the food and then putting the knife back in the drawer. It's like, that's weird. Yeah. So the the story of the family kept my interest and then nick being introduced being the kind of the character that's going to be the the revel, revelatory character for us to know what's going on kept my interest too so oh yeah yeah easily a nine <laughs> awesome well i'm gonna only be it's a little bit half a point lower than that 8.5 um as if that means i mean you know, you know whatever it's it, yeah. it could it could really swing either way you know i'm, I'm really tempted to to give it a nine Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, they're, uh, again, it's, it, it's a tough call, but 8.5 out of 10, this is so near perfect. Uh, it's an indie film done right, low budget done right. I mean, they took, mm-hmm. you know, whatever they had and they, they did exactly the right things with it. I have to yeah. applaud them. Uh, I have a lot of respect for the director, especially just after the, the whole Twitter thing tonight. Yeah. I mean, just, it just, that was really awesome. Um, but, uh, I love a smart horror movie and that's what it is. So, uh, yeah, 8.5 for me and nine out of you, dude, this is, uh, I, I think a, a movie that people should give a shot, especially on Netflix right now. I mean, if you got most people out there have Netflix yeah, and, uh, it's not and like it's, you're shelling out cold, hard cash right here and now for this film, you know? Yeah. I think if you go into it, thinking about it less as your typical horror movie, cause I think it popped up initially in like dark thrillers or something on the Netflix, um, mm-hmm you know, website. It's like, you know, I think it was like psychological. It came up under one of those ridiculous sub banner things they have. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well this sounds kind of interesting. And it's like, you know, it's not a typical horror movie, but it is, it is very much a horror movie, but it's not, it's not your typical blood and guts type of, you know, it's not a slasher. It's not a ghost movie. It's about the horror of human beings and just how horrible they can be. And I love movies like that. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Well, dude, thank you for talking with me about this. And I'm, I'm oh, sure we could, dude, we, we could go on probably for hours just <laughs> on the, the nuances and ins and outs. I mean, just the whole 
you mentioned the, the drawer putting the knife in and then she locks it with a padlock. I mean, what, you know, the, the, yeah. just little things like that that uh, we could go on. But, uh, man, I really appreciate this. Again, I, I'm glad at least we're, we're batting like 50, you know, 500 here or, you know, 50 percent, <laughs> you know. And uh, I think the Bleeding House made up for, for what we uh, sat through in uh, yeah, Resurrection I, County. I've, I'm glad I watched Bleeding House first um, because I it, it got me. It started me off on a good note, and then Resurrection County just sort of crapped out. And I was like, <laughs> Brought I you right feel... back down. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, I didn't feel as bad, because I felt if I had watched Resurrection County first, I might not have been in the right mindset for Bleeding House. I went into Bleeding House, just, you know, no idea about it. Um, you know, the, it was the sun was starting to set, so my room was getting dark. I hadn't turned on any lights yet, and about halfway through, I turned the lights on because it was getting hard to see. But... You know, it just, I think the, the time I was watching it and the, just the story and everything, just even that little bit of my reading into it going, oh, you know, this reminds me of a Nick Cave song, pulled me into it. And then that was just like, it held my attention the entire time. And I was just like, damn, this was good. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Well, it is so cool when you find a great movie like this and you can share it just oh, yeah. with somebody, you know, and, and be able to talk with them about it. And uh, that's what we have here. So. Oh, dude. Oh, man. Uh, everyone's got to listen to Devour the Podcast, like I said. And, um, man, I, I really appreciate this. And I hope that uh, you'd come on with me again. And we can talk about more movies and hopefully discover more really cool things that we can turn people on to. Um, Definitely. Because uh, it seems like we're lining up here. And uh, I, I, I dig it, man. I dig it. So thank you again for uh, taking your time, man. It's been a blast, man. It's honestly, this has been. I was looking for the, looking forward to this most of the week, and um, you know, it's just as I was preparing for to watch these movies, I'd been putting it off for a while. So I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to record with them on Saturday. I got to make sure I watch these, you know, within that time frame, so I'm fresh on them. And Bleeding House, like I said, was just such a highlight for me. I was just like, oh, thank God, especially because after watching um, Sleepaway Camp Four. <laughs> It was just like, that was like such a downer. It was so bad. But then like I watched Slaughter Night this week for um, episode 17, which was great. And then Dead Snow was great. And then this was great. So I was like, all right, I feel like there's actually good horror movies getting made. And that makes me happy because they're not all crap. (laughs) Right. There is hope. There is hope. hope. Yes. Yes. So, well, dude, let's do this again soon, man. Yeah, of course. All right. You have a good night. You too. This is my workshop. This is the place I feel most comfortable in the whole house. Why'd you pick this house? In my ideal world, you never have to meet the rest of my family. I travel around. I hear things. I stop through a town. A family is mentioned to me. You all are quite famous down there, you realize. I am trying one house at a time to rectify these things. All these little imperfections. What are you doing? What are you doing to us? Guilty by proximity, child. Grace will come easily to you. 
don't strive against it, or you will find only misery. As you just heard, I came off a really great, favorable review with Dave from Devour the Podcast of The Bleeding House. And uh, this is a great film. And right now, I am thrilled to be speaking with the director of The Bleeding House, Philip Gillette. Philip, thank you for joining me here tonight. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk about the movie. You're excited. I'm excited to be (laughs) talking with you because this was a film that was recommended to me just kind of out of nowhere on Netflix because I I guess I watch a lot of movies in this vein and I'd never heard of it. It pops up in my recommendations and uh, I'm like, well, okay, I'll give it a shot. You really have no idea anymore what you're going to get. It's true. And uh, as, as I told you, I was blown away by this. I was pleasantly surprised. Um, So tell me about the bleeding house, kind of how, you got involved in it, how you came up with it, because I believe you, you wrote this as well, didn't you? I did. I wrote it too. Yeah. Um, so, uh, it was many, many years ago that I started working (laughs) on the bleeding house. Um, and I, uh, I mean, the origin story of it is basically that, that I had been working in, um, an independent film in New York and was tired of being a desk jockey. And I was like, Hey, I think I could probably write a better script than than I've been reading because part of my job was to read bad screenplays. Um, <laughs> and uh, I work for producer, producers who didn't really do horror movies, uh, but I love the genre. It's like my favorite genre. So I decided, screw it, I'll, I'll write a horror movie and we'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, so, um, and it's funny, I don't, I don't, I, I, like I'm from Wisconsin originally and I, and I don't really remember why uh, or how I came up with the idea at very, very first, I, the very first idea or image to me it, it, for the movie was, um, just like a random isolated house down a random isolated road. Uh, mm-hmm. and then I just sort of built everything from there. Uh, and the character, um, there are sort of two central characters in the movie. There's Nick and, uh, and there's Gloria and, and Nick kind of came, uh, as, uh, was pointed out on Twitter. He he came a little bit out of a Nick Cave song, and I threw a lot of other things in there as well. I just I like the idea. There's something very iconic, I think, and, and mythological, like in an American sense, about like a random stranger who shows up at your door, uh, having just walked from someplace. Uh, so I, I I like the idea of playing with that kind of uh, mythological type character. Um, and Gloria, I I don't know. I'm I'm fond of saying that I just like creepy girls, which is why. Uh, where Gloria came from, but I, other than that, I'm, I'm not really sure. Um, so I wrote the script and I ended up rewriting it. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say countless times, uh, <laughs> trying trying to get it a good and then b producible. Like I'd, I'd always written it with the idea that I wanted it to be nice and small and contained, because I, I feel like horror is usually at its best when it's small, especially you know for an, an unknown writer and who's just trying to get a start. Um, so I rewrote it a lot, and then eventually um, the producers who I had worked for were like, hey, we want to produce this. And I was like, hey, great. And then another year passed, and they were like, well, we can raise a little bit of money, um, and we think that you should maybe direct it yourself because we're not going to do it for any money, really. So would you want to do that? And I was like, hell yeah, let's do this. <laughs> so uh, so we did. 
And it was uh, just like writing it was a bit of a baptism by fire. Directing it was also a bit of a baptism by fire. I don't think I'd ever actually... Uh, I mean, I'd been on a few movie sets before, but I hadn't really... I mean, it wasn't a huge crew, but it was still... There was definitely a moment when I got on set and was like, oh, okay, so I really literally have no idea what I'm, like, when I'm supposed to say action. I don't know. Like, how do I, how do I know when... There was a really, a really embarrassing moment the first day when the AD had to tell me um, when I was supposed to say action. So that's a really horribly embarrassing story for wow. everybody to laugh at me about. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Uh, but I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. So I, I, I can't complain. <laughs> you should be. You should be really proud of this, man, because this is your first movie and yep. people's first movies aren't supposed to be this good. I mean, you know, you're supposed to make something that really shows potential and everyone's like, oh, we can't wait to see what he does next, you know, <laughs> which I can't, I, you know, I can't wait to see what you do next. But uh, just everything about this was top notch and uh, it didn't show any signs to me of being low budget. I mean, this looked like it had a really full, decent budget to it. Um, yeah, it really it's stretched funny. it. I mean, I have to say that that a lot of the credit for that uh, falls. I can't I can't take much of it uh, because we we managed to hire um, uh, a DP who had worked with with uh, Dario Argento on Argento's subpar movies, like the last few movies Argento made. Mm. We managed to hire his DP because, uh, and his name is Freddie uh, Frederick Fasano, and he's an amazing man. And he had just we are like so lucky, like he had just moved to New York. We had a meeting with him. He'd read the script and he really liked the script. And we had a meeting with him and we were like, look, uh, Freddie, you're way more experienced than, than this movie is um, and we can't pay you very much at all. But, you know, are you, are, are you willing to work for Peanuts and come and do this? And he was like, yes, I love it. I, of course I'll do it. And he like, he, I, I, he's just great. Like every, every 10 years he moves to a new city. So he just moved to New York and he... Um, he was so excited to do this movie because it reminded him of when he made, he shot uh, uh, Asia Argento's first movie. And he was like, oh, it'll be like when I made Asia's first movie. We, no one will know what they're doing. It's wonderful. So, <laughs> so he, um, a lot of the, a lot of the, the I mean, I, I mean, I worked very closely with him. I don't want to th- give him all the credit, but he, mm. uh, he really brought a level of, of professionalism and quality to the visuals that, uh, that was just like, you know, without him, we would have been, uh, <laughs> probably in much worse shape. Oh yeah. Uh, and it was it was great to work, you know, he I should probably have listened to him more in pre-production because he definitely there were moments when he was like, "Okay, I can't I wish I could do his accent better, um, but I can't." <laughs> he was just like, "Okay, so when you when you meet with the effects people, they're going to tell you you don't have to see the effects before we shoot, but I'm telling you you have to see the effects before we shoot because you'll get to set and the effects won't work." And I was like, "Okay, Freddie, okay, okay." And then I didn't and then sure enough, like I got to set in their effects days and it was just like, yeah, this, this effect is just not working. Like I really, we really should have, uh, heeded Freddie's warning. <laughs> so, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But, um, that's kind of, uh, I guess something that I noticed was that, uh, you know, there wasn't a ton of gore, a, t- a ton yeah. of violence. A lot of it was implied. Now yes. was some of that due to the fact that you weren't really overwhelmed by how some of the effects were going? Yes. Uh, the, 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 like, it's funny in, in, if you were to read the script, you would think it was a, um, like a full throated gore movie. Um, but to watch the movie, it's, it's not, it's really not, it's much more, I still call it a horror movie because I, 
I don't really understand what the difference is between a horror movie and a thriller movie. I get in this argument all the time. I've always wondered uh, that too. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's only, it's just marketing. Like if you are a kind of, I'll just go ahead and say kind of a douchey producer and you want to make more money on your <laughs> horror movie, you call the thriller because it has, because I think there are more people who say to themselves, oh, I'll watch a thriller than, than I'll watch a horror movie. But whatever the case, I mean, it, it, the, the script was, was much gorier and I had to, I mean, it's funny, like the, the removal of, of some of the gore stuff happened even before we started shooting just because the producer said, you know, we can't, <clears throat> we are, we're going to shoot for 15 days total. We can't be held back by special effects. So you should pick like three, three or four things you really want to be gory. And I was like, okay, I want this, this, and this. And then, I mean, the majority, like, I, yeah, like the final fight scene in the car was as written is really upsettingly gory, but we had to shoot that entire scene in one night and the actors were not, it was like freezing cold and the actors weren't happy. And like at about 2 AM, like one of the actors or maybe at 3 AM when the actors were supposed to have some prosthetics put on. And it was just like, we're not, the scene's not going to get done if at all, if we have to do this. So there were, uh, some unfortunate, well, maybe not unfortunate. I mean, we did turn okay, but in, in theory, it would have been a much more gory movie. Um, that's uh, that's interesting because I think it worked to its advantage uh, because yeah. so much is psychological. I mean, there's just a lot of layers of stuff going on here and things you got to yeah. think about. And and uh, I don't know. I think that not seeing a whole lot of gore was very fitting for this. Yeah. Because um, you, you had to think about it. It was implied. Um, because again, I, I say this over and over again. I feel like every podcast I do, I, I say the same thing, but it, it just rings true every time is that horror is in your mind. You know, horror yeah. is so internal. And, and if you get me in my head, you don't have to show me as much on the screen. In fact, I want to fill in these blanks myself. It's true. It's true. I mean, and, I, and generally speaking, I'm very much of that same opinion. Um, but I was very conscious of, uh, I guess of the um, the legacy of sort of uh, like if you look at like an Evil Dead or a Texas Chainsaw, like I feel like I, I, I in in I wanted the movie to have a kind of like um, real horror pedigree to it, where like but like like a like a gore fans pedigree because mm-hmm. I, I like gore movies too. But um, so that was like originally. It, it's really funny actually. So, so by way of an example of this, I. When we started to make the movie, I was like, okay, let's all watch the first Texas Chainsaw and let's make it feel as crazy as that. Now, the movie is nothing like Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> at all. And the other movie, so then at a certain point I was like, okay, well, this movie that I'm making is never going to be like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So then I had everybody else, everybody watch um, this Japanese movie called uh, Cure by Kyoshi Kurosawa, which I don't know if you've seen, but is really really good and I highly highly recommend it um I don't I mean my movie's not nearly as good as as that movie but it's a much more atmospheric uh and I think in a sense I'm actually much darker well it doesn't get a lot darker than Texas Chainsaw Massacre but it's it's darker in 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 different ways um and has a much more staid and atmospheric style um and we ended up much more in in that vein than in Texas Chainsaw vein which I'm I like it's I'm I'm happy to be there like I'm I'm just as much a fan of that uh, and like Roman Polanski esque uh, horror as I am of of Toby Hooper, so it's either of those wheelhouses I'm happy to be in ultimately. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, and Texas Chainsaw as well. You know, that's that's just a tough act to follow. You know, it's a tough act to follow. I I adore that movie so much, but it's so like it just feels. Um, 
it's ungodly good and it's just like ungodly like it's just a mean nasty ugly psychotic movie and i i love every minute of it but it's yeah it's really like i I think like you often hear that that horror filmmakers are like so much nicer and kinder in person than their movies (laughs) i really believe that that in the period of time that toby hooper was making texas chainsaw massacre everybody working on that movie was legitimately dangerous and insane like i can't (laughs) i can't I, especially when you hear like stories about them shooting that 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 uh, the dinner scene over a course of like thirty six hours in like a black box room in Texas in like a hundred <laughs> you know one hundred and twenty degree heat. It's like yeah, you were all out of your minds and you probably should have all have been arrested. But I'm glad you weren't because it's an amazing movie. <laughs> oh man! So what was the craziest thing about the the production of the Bleeding House? You know, I mean, you, you already uh, related a story about the car scene at the end and. And uh, was there any just kind of really crazy stumbling block along the way or maybe a wall that you hit? Maybe the whole movie was in question whether you'd even get it done. Was there anything that happened? Uh, Yes, those things happened a lot. Uh, And they're like there are. It was it was really hard being a first like a first time. director. I'm still kind of shocked that I, I actually made it through the production at all because it's sort of like nobody really prepared me for exactly what a director does so I kind of just had to figure it out as we go like we went through about three weeks of prep and while we're going through prep I was like oh this seems easy you know yada 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 whatever this looks good okay cool we'll work on this a little bit more and then um we got to the first day of shooting and and after I learned when to say action I suddenly realized oh there are about a thousand more things I should have been doing in prep that I didn't do that just nobody told me I was supposed to be doing uh so there was this, like this really unsettling feeling that I was like, "Oh God, I actually don't know what I'm doing," um, which was hard. Like it, it's, and I feel like even if I were to make, well, if I were to make, well, let's say when I direct another movie, because I, I definitely want to, and hopefully will soon. The um, the level of things I learned from from Leading House are I can't even like just just thousands and thousands of things I learned making that movie. <laughs> uh, I think the hardest day was the day with the bird because we had a live bird. Um, for the scene in the bedroom, but uh, we couldn't really afford, shall we say, good bird wranglers. So we had like legit <laughs> bird wranglers, but they just like, there were these two like very pleasant, but like upper middle-aged women and they showed up and they're like, well, we can't, we can't let any of your actors touch the birds, but look, our hands look like the actress's hands, which of course they didn't. And like oh, the man. funny thing, the funny thing about a bird inside is like we we all just assumed like you let a bird out and it's going to fly. A bird indoors actually doesn't fly very much, so we'd let it out of its cage and it would it would just land and then like that doesn't make that's not exciting. Like yeah. you need you need a bird to move around a little bit more. Um so we shot for hours with that thing trying to get it to do anything and like the, the bird handlers were all like, "Well, we have to the room has to be close." So, like I couldn't be in the room. It was just uh the DP and I like had a monitor outside the DP and the actors and the actress was terrified of the bird. And it was just like, never, <laughs> I made a list of things to never put in movies again. And, uh, animals are number one on that list. Cause that <laughs> thing was just like, it's not, this is not, this is not working. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, it turned out great. I mean, it, it was fantastic scene. So thank you. You did it well. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just hard pressed to find, much to complain about in this film but then again i've 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 read people's reviews like i couldn't help but go online and see what other people thought because i'm like oh this is a great movie let's see if everybody else thinks it is too yeah and some people uh some people hate it 
like hate it vehemently. <laughs> I've noticed, and yeah. I don't know what's up with that. I it's, mean, I mean, I understand some of the arguments. You know, that you, you take the character of Nick, and not everybody's gonna, I think, appreciate the kind of character that he is and being placed in this kind of a movie, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of people just think he's out of place. You know, they see this dark, dark movie. You know, this troubled family. And he's supposed to be, you know, I'm, I'm going to try not to spoil things too much, but, uh, you know, he's a murderer, yet, you know, he has such manners and he is so yeah. kind and very charming. And I mean, he can, you see right at the beginning of the movie when he shows up at the house, the family is very cautious about him. They don't even want him to come in at first, but mm-hmm. within minutes he, he turns their opinions around and he turns their attitudes around to where they invite him in the house and they actually open up to him very, very quickly. Um, so seeing this kind of a guy, you know, is trying to portray him as a, as this murderer and everything. People have a problem with that. Uh, how yeah. do you respond to something like that? Uh, I understand the critique. Uh, and I, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, mean, I feel like it's hard. Horror is a really hard genre because, um, I don't want to classify everybody who has that critique of the movie in a certain way, but I feel like a lot of that is an expectation game. Like when you go, it's like we were talking about the horror and thriller thing. When you go into a horror movie that has a description like The Bleeding House does, which makes it sound, I think, a little bit more like a stalk and slash movie than it is. Yeah. Um, and you end up in the movie that I made, you're going to be, uh, I would hope that you would start off disappointed, but you would come away thinking, oh, that was really unexpected. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like a lot of people don't, um, watch movies with an open mind especially i think the kind of people who troll let's say netflix for horror movies i think they just want to see what what i don't have which is gore and nudity and, and those kinds of things which sounds really insulting to the horror movie audience and i don't mean to be because i i am definitely one of them um but i i do think that when you get into the into the really it's hard because I, like, I consider myself a hardcore horror fan but it's like there's a certain people who love genres but they're not willing to see that genre open up or change or be different you yeah, know? yeah i agree a hundred percent because there there's a lot of people out there and i've taken slack again I've, I've said kind of a lot of the same things where i i almost kind of criticize your a lot of horror fans just because of that they're not open you know they they expect to see a slasher movie well if it's a slasher movie it's got to have a b and c and right. it's got to do this and right. man, you know, it's almost like they, they have to have the same general formula going into a movie. And they hate unexpected turns, which this movie is full of. They hate questions being unanswered, which this movie has. You've got to fill yeah. in a lot of the gaps, which I love. I really, really love. Um, and I, I feel that you respect the viewers uh, quite a bit. And you know that we have brains. And you yeah. know that we can fill in these kind of things. So... I am right there with you. Um, it's uh, it's something that, again, not everybody can appreciate. It is definitely a thinking person's kind of film. So you're right on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm like I'm, and I have to say I'm I, as much as I, because I have a wife who is loves to. She doesn't think she's tormenting me, but she is. For a while, she would every time a review, good or bad, of the movie came up on anything, Amazon, Netflix. Anywhere. She would read it out loud to me like I wanted to hear it. So like <laughs> in my ideal world, I would be completely not exposed to these reviews. But because there was a period of a couple of months where she was just like, oh, look, this person hated your movie. Let's read what he had to say. Oh, <laughs> just wow. like, 
<laughs> oh, oh dear. I don't, I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't know about this. Um, uh, do you so, get yeah. upset at the, the haters? I mean, there are some people that rip into this man. And for you, I know you, you put so much, you know, blood, sweat and tears. So they say yeah. into this, I mean, this was a personal thing for you. I know I, I've read, you know, a couple of your interviews that you've done already and you talk about, you got a lot of family involved and a lot of friends yeah. and just, yeah. you pulled a lot of people together. So this was a very personal thing, something that you really crafted, uh, with your, with your own bare hands. And, uh, so how do you, do you get mad at people that just rip into it, man? It's funny. I, um, I don't because I, uh, and this is the same argument I have with my wife, which is why I don't want to read the reviews, which is just like, I, I don't, and it's kind of, it's going to sound a little bit selfish, but I kind of make things for myself and it's not like, it's great that people see them and it's great that people like them and it's okay that I guess they hate them. But for me, like I, I know a lot of people who work in movies too, and I don't know anybody who quite feels, feels this way like I do. But I, it's sort of like when it's done and I'm happy with it, then I'm sort of done with it, and then I don't. Then it's out there, and you know people can think about what what they want. Um, but I try. I, I think if I didn't, at least for me, if I didn't think of writing and, and directing and doing these things as a very uh, almost like personal exercise like i'm doing it for myself like i'm not i'm not doing mm -hmm. it for other people really so I, I can't hate them because you know whatever it's not like for I, them yeah yeah exactly well I mean, ultimately it is like I, <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but but it it at the same time it's not you know i yeah, mean exactly. you either you either get it or you don't you either appreciate it or you don't yeah. and you know if you don't just don't watch it just go elsewhere and yeah. so no that's uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 uh it's a hard thing to explain, I guess. Mm -hmm. But uh, but like I yeah, you know, a lot of people who are all about reading the reviews and a lot of people who are all about like oh, and you know when you make this movie and it goes to all the festivals and you get to go to the festivals. Like we were in Tribeca. I I hope they don't listen because honestly, I hated going to Tribeca. Like I hated going to the parties. I hated going to those screenings. I hated doing the question and answer. I like oh, wow. this inter like interview settings, but a question and answer session after your movie has screened is just like that's rough it's rough business i don't like being on stage <laughs> at all oh, wow um but all that stuff like it's nice uh but i you know I, I i just like i don't know i just like making stuff i don't necessarily like having to do all the rigmarole after you've made it you know i appreciate that because you sound more like an artist you Thank know you. <laughs> you sound you sound more grounded and and just kind of like you're enjoying what you're doing you're making art just again for yourself which i think you should um, you're not a commercial guy and I get turned off by just commercially driven people that just want to go out there and, and do something that's in a, in a proven genre that'll make them money so they can go on and do another one again and again and repeat, repeat, repeat. Um, yeah, it's, it's really tricky. Like I've, I've gotten, you know, I, I, um, basically based on, on the script for Bleeding House, I, I like work now as a, as a screenwriter. Um, I don't live in Hollywood obviously, but I, um. I do screenwriting for sort of producer types in, in Los Angeles. And it's funny, you know, when, when nobody on a project has any uh, personal stake in it, it's really hard to know what a thing is supposed to be. Like a lot of times, you know, I'll pitch to get jobs and it's just like, I don't, I don't understand where the creative authority in this project lies because nobody seems to care. Uh, and like recently I, I had a chance to talk to some producers about like one of my favorite um, horror franchises they're trying to 
re, redo. Um, and I won't bring up specifics because I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But <laughs> the conversation was really upsetting because they simply uh, they didn't they just didn't care. Like they didn't get it. They were like, well, nobody really understands what the movie was about in the first place. So we're just going to redo it and just use this element and this element and then just do whatever you want. And I was like, well, I can't. Uh, that's so weird to me because you're in effect asking me to be the creative authority on this, but I know that you, you simply don't care. So, hmm. you know, to, to you, it's just a set of images that is going to make you a lot of money. You have no, you have no loyalty to the original brand. You think that people like who like the original brand are just like people who you don't care about because like they'll come anyway. So you don't have to actually have to have any um, respect for it. So it's, it's tricky. Like it's a really tricky movie making is a really tricky business. On the other hand, like it's it's high risk, high uh, cost. Yeah. Enterprise. You know, like these movies cost a lot to make. So it's you know there's always that tension and that balance between uh, the artistic and the and the monetary. It's just finding the right people who understand that balance and and have a certain level of integ- integrity. I think is is really important. Yeah. Well, I along with I know a lot of other people out there listening right now. Uh, appreciate what you've done with the Bleeding House, the risk that you've taken, the uh, sacrifices that you've made to see that your vision gets out there and uh, that it got to Netflix, which is huge. Like, you know, we were talking before the show and and you were like, wow, once this movie got on Netflix, it seemed like it just kind of blew up. A lot of people got to see it. So uh, that's interesting. What what was the distribution like, I guess? You, you know, you, you mentioned Tribeca and, and some festivals yeah, we, and things. We, um, yeah, we only went to Tribeca, and Tribeca um, has been trying, or I guess is, I, I don't know what their measure of success is, but they, they are in the distribution game now. So we were uh, in their second crop of movies that they had in their festival and then also distributed, um, which was which was pretty cool. Um, I... Uh, so like you know we were in the festival and then I don't know how long afterwards we were on DVD and then how long after that we were on Netflix um, and they sort of handled all that stuff so that was I mean it was really it was really great I mean I know I made fun of the festival and said I didn't like to go to it but like there was definitely there was definitely a moment um, where I was a little bit sad that I was like oh nobody's ever going to distribute this movie but that's you know whatever like I made it and I like it so I guess that that's enough but then uh, then Rebecca came in and we're like hey great we'll do this. Um, I will say that the cover of the DVD that I absolutely love, <clears throat> and it's the same cover that's on Netflix with the sort of Saul Bassey and I was image. just going to bring that up. I love it. Yeah. That is not Tribeca's work. That is somebody that I hired to do that because uh, Tribeca's poster for it, which I think is still the official website for the movie, was just, uh, well, I'll say interesting, but what I actually mean is terrible. So <laughs> if you... <laughs> if, if you want to see like a bad, a really bad marketing version of the cover of the movie, the I think it's still the bleedinghouse.com or something has a, like a the elements that were in their their poster that were just like I, I saw it and I was like, you know, I, I I this is just terrible. I'm gonna have to like get somebody else to do something about this. So when you said that, I I just brought up the website right now. And is, it, is it still up? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot of like a big bloody background and. The, yeah, uh, yeah. It's and, and I believe I don't know if it's on there, but on the their original poster, the Bleeding House was written in this like red. I think they thought that it was like red blood letter font, but it's actually like Japanese karaoke or not karaoke, um, calligraphy font. That's what it and looks just, like. Yeah, yeah. It's like that's not. I know what you think that is, 
marketing people, but that's not blood. <laughs> that like this is not a Japanese movie. Like that's not the proper font to use. Uh, wow. So yeah, that was a, a bit of a thing. But well, this we, is uh, weird. I mean, I look at it; it has nothing to do with the movie at all. No, um, no not at all. Whereas your cover. Um, it, I think speaks so much more. I mean, it, it's very simple. It's very stylized, um, but it's it's art. You know, it actually speaks something. I'd, I'd love, you know, you just have to see it. People have to go out and seek out the, the cover on Netflix and, and things. Yeah, it's great. And, and the guys that did it for me are friends of mine um, that are in Kansas City, I think. Um, and they do a really, really great job. Uh, so his name is Sean Ferguson who did that. So if you're looking for a cover to your movie, look up Sean Ferguson. He does stuff. It's wow. good. It is really good. Man, yeah. man, awesome. Um, something I, I just have to ask you about. Um, uh, during the movie, Nick's telling a story about a family that he had visited prior to coming to the house. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a family that he had, quote, helped. And, of course, you know, I'm not going to give too much away. But the town that he mentioned stopping in was Butler, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um I happen to grow up literally 20 minutes from Butler, and I've, I've been there. Really? I, I know it really, really well. Um, and was there a specific reason you picked Butler? Uh, the specific reason that I picked Butler was, uh, if we're to be entirely honest and not to ruin the the moment, I picked Butler because my roommate at the time was from Butler. Uh, oh, cool. So it was it was a nod. And there's there's a couple of other names in the script are also just people that I that I was close with when I was writing the script. So. Uh, yeah, Butler is picked um, almost arbitrarily, uh, and I just needed I needed like another small. Uh, I mean, would you call but would you call that uh, the Midwest? Do you consider yourself in the Midwest? No, we're we're more east. Like okay. I, I, you know, I, I think I said to you like I'm East Coast. You yeah, know? yeah, that's true. I'm, yeah, I guess it is. It is yeah. the east, Eastern time zone. Yeah, yeah. So I just kind of generally but uh um yeah well so i mean i basically did it because i knew that it was a, a small town similar um in size uh and not necessarily remoteness but just sort of like unknownness to um to the vibe that i wanted in the movie oh yeah uh, yeah nobody knows butler at all yeah. um you know and it is out in the middle of nowhere i mean it's literally yeah. nothing the only reason i ever went there is because there was a mall and i grew up in a town that was even smaller than butler and I'd go to Butler because I was like, ooh, we're going to Butler because they have a mall, you know. So that's, you know. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That was really cool. And and as far as we talk about cities that were mentioned in the movie, another one that I just had to almost like get out of my seat and start to cheer is uh, when you talked about Cleveland. And yeah. How, I can't remember exactly how Cleveland, uh, how you what the wording was. But <laughs> I hate Cleveland. Like, yeah, um, he doesn't no. say anything nice about Cleveland. Uh, no, I, and I can't. I can't remember the phrase. It's funny. I, I remember spending a long time on that line of dialogue, but I can't remember how how it's phrased. But it's not a nice thing he says about Cleveland. <laughs> no. So no. I have to commend you on both of those. Uh, right there, you made the movie very personal for me, and uh, I I thank you for that. I, I I'm sorry to say that I've actually never been to Cleveland. I picked it. Uh, because I just needed to say to rip on and it was it seemed like you know it seemed like it seemed like a good target. So yeah, I actually exactly. I don't have anything against Cleveland. <laughs> oh, but it's the mistake by the lake. I mean it's 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 bad. It's you're you're right on. So sorry and I have friends in Cleveland. It's funny, I have friends listening right now in Cleveland and <laughs> and they, they know I bust on it, you know. But uh 
you know, um, but no, that was great. And, uh, you know, felt, man, again, uh, I don't have enough kind things to say about this film. Um, I'm just like gushing about it cause I, I, it just affected me. And that is good horror is something that you can watch and you just keep thinking about and it affects you. And, and, um, so thank you again for making this. It was great. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you for liking it. It's, it's so nice. Uh, it's so nice when people do like, you know, your stuff. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. So what's next? Or uh, now you've talked about you'd like to make another film. Uh, yes. Do you have anything? Do you have any ambitions? Any any kind of things maybe in talks here? If if you're able to talk about anything right now? Uh, a little bit. I mean, I, it's it's funny. The, the thing that I've been working on actually since I made the Bleeding House um, is a script that I'm not. It's been shot, but I didn't direct it. Um, and it's like a a uh, sci-fi thriller thing um, that they shot in New York last fall and it's currently called the Europa report and it has, um, it has Charlton Copley in it, the guy from district nine, uh, and, uh, some other people who are like internationally stars, but aren't really huge stars in the U S. So that was really cool. It's, it's a space movie. So there was a spaceship. I can say that I have stepped onto a spaceship that I wrote, which I feel is a real, a real accomplishment. (laughs) That sounds really cool. Yeah, it was fun. Um, and it was weird and not as educational, but also definitely educational to be on a set that I wasn't the director on. Like it's, it's a whole other dynamic to be on a set when you're a writer and not the director. Cause you're like, people turn to you and ask you things, but you actually have, I mean, I had less authority than a PA. Like, like I had no, right. you know, so it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, so that's exciting. They're in post on that now. I don't know when. I know it doesn't have U.S. distribution yet. I'm assuming they're going to try to take it to like Toronto and some of the bigger festivals. So cool. we'll see um, how that goes. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And now, then, how... uh... oh, oh go ahead. sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to ask specifically about that. Um, going on to a set where you, you wrote it, um, but you relinquish control of everything at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there were changes made as far as the director just kind of taking things in his direction and, and people having different ideas with your original script, your original ideas. How tough was that to see those kind of things being done? I mean, again, this is kind of your baby. This is kind of your thing and people are, are taking it and kind of messing with it, I guess. Is that hard? Uh, it's, it's hard, uh, to a point. I mean, I, um, I knew when I, I knew when I wrote it that I wouldn't be directing it. So uh, I knew from the start that it was going to be a very collaborative process. And I was, I mean, fortunate, a lot of writers uh, have an experience where they write something and it's taken completely away from them and other writers are brought on to change it and stuff like that. That wasn't, that wasn't my experience in this. I, I remained the writer throughout and I, you know, was doing sort of last minute Harry rewrites on set. Um, so it wasn't heartbreaking. It was definitely hard though because you do see... There are definitely moments when you're like, okay, well, that's not, this is not what I meant, really. Like, this, yeah. is, not, this is not how I thought this was going to go. And, you know, you, you kind of just, I'm, I'm very good at uh, keeping my expectations low enough when I enter a situation. <laughs> so, like, I was sort of like, okay, well, this, let's be very zen about this. Like, it's great this movie's getting made. I knew I wasn't going to direct it. Like, and I'm, I'm here and I'm, like, they're still actively consulting me. So, this is about as as cherry a position I could, as I could be in, probably as a writer. So let's let's not, you know, let's not bring the negative waves. You know, let's yeah. just let's just go with it. Um, and it was, you know, it was an experience. I I uh, I get really 
I mean, as a director, I was super, super stressed on, on the set. As a writer, I was also super, like, super stressed. And I eat when I'm stressed, so I would just go to the craft services table and just, like, just <laughs> eat everything I could possibly see, which is, uh, yeah, I was, I was a pig. It was, it was really, really gross. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, I really respect that attitude, you know, and uh, that you could, uh, you know, realize what you're getting into when you're writing something, but then you just kind of got to hand it over and, uh, and see what comes of it. So it's uh, tough. And you know, I, I might have the exact wrong attitude. I'm sure that, that other writers would say, no, you have to fight and kick and claw and scream, but maybe on some project that'll end up being me. But on this one, I, I just had, I had a really good relationship with everybody who was working on it. And I was just like, I, you know, this isn't, I don't feel that this is my place to, uh, to get uppity. So, um, so I didn't. Yeah. yeah. That's very humble of you. And I, I, I can appreciate <laughs> that. So of course, whenever, you know, the years down the road, you know, people start offering you big bucks for films and everything. And you, you know, your head starts growing and stuff and you know, you'd, you'd start, you know, getting a little ballsier about things, you know, that might change. And, uh, you know, yes, it's... exactly. <laughs> but no, what Someday would happen? I'll be a maniac. <laughs> it, it, it's so funny though. You know, you're, you're making great indie films right now, but, uh, if somebody say somebody with a lot of money sees the bleeding house and they're like, we want this guy to direct our next, you know, hundred million dollar picture or whatever. And so they come to you and they offer you unbelievable cash to make a film that's just cranking out another, I don't know, say like Final Destination 6 or something, you know, mm -hmm. like just for example. Um, so there's a lot of money kind of staring you in the face right there. Um, it's an opportunity to make a film, which you enjoy. Mm -hmm. um, so where would you go with that? I mean, that money's hard to turn down, I would think. Yeah, that's a really, really good question. I... Uh... I really don't know. I would, I would, if here's the thing, I hate more than anything else in my life pitching for jobs. If they came to me and said, you don't have to pitch for this, you can just do it for that amount of money. I would probably do it because it would mean that I could then, I would have made enough money that I could go and do other things for two, three years and I wouldn't have to do anything for, uh, you know, anything to make money for a while. Mm -hmm. If they came to me and said, there are three people we want to do this job and each of them has to pitch and the one who, who whose pitch we like the most will we'll give the job to you. I would probably say thanks, but no thanks and, and not do it. But only because I get, uh, I get really, it, the funny things stress me out really, really bad. And pitching is one thing that I just, I hate it. I can't, I'm apparently I'm okay at it, but I, it stresses me out so badly. But you know what? For a hundred million, I probably actually would pitch if only because if I didn't, my agent would probably murder me. Uh, so, so I take it back for a hundred million, I probably would pitch. Uh, yeah. but for the same reason, just that, that having made it, uh, I would be, I probably would have made enough money that I could, um, live comfortably and do smaller, more interesting things for a couple of years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I hope to see you in that position, you know, not necessarily yeah, yeah, directing okay. something that's <laughs> no, no, I mean, not necessarily something that you're, you know, you're going to have to direct some kind of just regular Hollywood churned out crap, you know, that is just there to make a buck, but yeah. in a position where you can comfortably make your visions come to fruition and mm -hmm. that uh, people can see them and, uh, that you can, uh, you know, live with yourself and, and sleep sleep well at night knowing that uh what you're doing is actually what uh 
what you're in the filmmaking business for and, right. and why you have this passion. So right, right. that's, uh, that's really cool. Now, turning to, uh, turning to horror films, uh, and we're going to talk about a horror film here in a moment. Um, but, uh, what are some of your favorites? Uh, some, some horror films that you can watch a million times and they just, they just get to you every single time. Uh, so my, there's so many, my, this is a can of worms. So I'm going to say <laughs> that my all time favorite horror movie is alien, but I don't say that because I want to have a discussion about Prometheus because I will say uh. terrible things about Prometheus because I really <laughs> didn't like it. But I'll just go ahead and say my favorite horror movie of all time is Alien. And uh, we can, I don't know if you saw Prometheus. Uh, Not yet, no. Okay. Well, I, I came out of it thinking it was okay, but the farther I get away from it, the more I think it was such a horrible waste of <laughs> everything. Uh, so Alien, definitely. Um, uh, it's funny, I just made a list of my 100 favorite movies, and a lot of them are horror movies. So uh, Alien, Psycho, I love. Mm. The Shining, I love, but I find utterly confounding. Like, it's such a simple movie, The Shining, but the more you watch it and the more you try to sort out what is going on in that movie, the more uh, befuddling it gets, which I really love about it. Yes. Um, uh, what else? Uh, the original Romero zombie trilogy, I love. For a long time, I was a defender of Land of the Dead. I've since kind of decided that maybe I don't like Land of the Dead that much, but I don't know. I have to see it again. Like I I saw it twice really in rapid succession when it came out. And then I've been thinking about it more recently. I was like, "Eh, maybe I don't like it, but I should, I should watch it again. Uh, Uh, Yeah. I I think at one point I referred to uh, big daddy zombie as like the Jar Jar Banks of Romero's (laughs) um, dead films. Um, Yeah. It's yeah. I, I, I do like the movie. Um, I like the zombies and, and that kind of thing, but I think that's where he starts taking it a little too far as far as what the zombies can do and how much they evolve and yeah. that kind of, you know, it's just, just, a, it's a really, uh, it's a really tricky thing with movies, um, yeah. where you, like what I love about the original dead trilogy is that there is clearly, there's clearly a subtext there that is social or political or cultural or whatever you want to call it, but they, they never, um, they never really make it on the nose for you, uh, right. and they, they allow you to sort of draw your own conclusions. And like you can you can you can clearly tell there is some depth to that story. I feel like Land of the Dead uh, takes it and makes it a little bit too much on the nose, uh, and you start to say, "Oh well, when you when you make your subtext a little bit more literal, then it suddenly loses its power." You know? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. George kind of, just man with his later, you know, his the last three films that he did. I feel like he's sitting there just beating me over the head with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those tricky things. Like I really believe in in movies having um, layers of meaning, but I really hate it when they're explicit. Like I, I it drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I can't think of an example of one that has driven me crazy. But I just know that when when I start to feel like I'm being like patronized or spoken down to about the topic of the movie, I I just sort of shut off. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm a big zombie guy, and one that comes to mind was a, a film called uh, Zombies of Mass Destruction. Um, I didn't see it. Which, you know, there were some great things in, but it was all obviously, I mean, there was so much rhetoric in there about, of course, you know, the, the Afghanistan right. and the war and things like that. And it was so obvious. I mean, there was no question whatsoever. And it was, 
it was a movie for dumb people. I felt, yeah. you know, where you just sit down, you tune out, and you're being fed propaganda under the guise of this zombie film. Yeah. Um, and that turns me off. I don't care how good your zombies look. And there are some good scenes. There's some good violence. And it was enjoyable in parts. But altogether, I came out and I'm just pissed. You know, I'm just like, <laughs> I can't believe they just sat me down and tried to feed me this. You know, I feel like I'm 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 in uh, you know uh, Clockwork Orange. You know, and they they literally have my eyes propped open. You know, and I'm looking at the at the movie screen, and uh, I have no choice. It's just you wanted a zombie movie, not MSNBC. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I'm trying to think other horror movies. Are like I, I'm a really big uh, early. Polanski fan, like Repulsion, Rosemary's Baby, The Tenant. Oh yeah, I really like his Macbeth. I don't know if you've seen his Macbeth, but I it have the, not. It's the first movie he made after um, after the Manson affair, uh, oh, and it's wow. really like it, it's funny. Like you, you can you could love the movie without knowing that was the background, but knowing that's the background makes some some of it so much more powerful and gripping, and it's it's so bleak i mean it i mean macbeth is bleak anyway but it's it's a really really bleak macbeth um and it was produced by uh i think it was the only movie that like playboy tried to get into movie productions and i think that's the only movie they made (laughs) so there's like yeah there's some like ridiculous nudity too like uh like lady macbeth (laughs) delivers her um out out damn spot speech fully in the nude (laughs) like (laughs) it's yeah it's definitely worth seeing yeah (laughs) Wow, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna check that out because uh, yeah, I'm a Polanski fan and I'm, I'm a big Shakespeare lover. Actually, I, yeah. I love that. So, uh, man. I know I know like real Shakespeare purists have a little bit of an issue, I guess, with the with the edit they did on it, and they they make one change. They like add an epilogue to the movie that is not in any version of Shakespeare, but I actually think it really works well. So, mm. um, you should see it. It's really good. I will. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, you, you chose a movie for us to talk about tonight. Yes. And uh, I really appreciate this because I haven't seen this since literally probably the, the late 90s, I mm-hmm. think. And uh, my opinion of it has changed since then. Of course, it's been what, 15 years probably. And right. um, before the show, when we were talking about this, you said that since your last viewing, your opinion has kind of changed a little bit. You found some, some things here and there that uh, you're interested in uh, talking about. So... Yes. This is In the Mouth of Madness, John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness, 1995. Yep. Um, and uh, is there a specific reason that you picked this to talk about tonight? Uh, I picked it, well, I picked it because I wanted to make a movie I didn't think anybody else would pick, first of all. Second of all, I, I love it. Um, I love John Carpenter as a filmmaker, like for the movies he makes, but also because I think his career trajectory is really weird. And I yeah. think In the Mouth of Madness. I know that John Carpenter is still alive and still making movies, but I'm going to go ahead and call In the Mouth of Madness the last good movie that he'll make. <laughs> and I don't even know that it's that good. Uh, and it's like it's it's funny. I remember seeing it when I was I saw it in theaters when I was in my teens, and I it was one of the first movies I saw after I got my first subscription to Fangoria magazine because it was like a cover. I think it had a cover of Fangoria. Oh wow! Um, and it was right. I must have been right around the time that I first got into Lovecraft, although I don't remember knowing that it was, I don't remember making the connection with Lovecraft when I saw it. So maybe I got into Lovecraft after I'd seen it. I don't remember. But, um, but I want to talk about it just because it's such a weird movie and it's like 
on the one hand, it I think it is one of the movies that and I don't know if you're a Lovecraft fan, but I think it's oh, yeah. it's one of the movies that gets Lovecraft almost right, but then it also gets it so wrong. And I, and I also feel like there are <laughs> there are some moments in there that that young John Carpenter would have pulled so much more out of, but older John Carpenter doesn't for whatever reason just doesn't seem to have. Um, wow, so that's putting it really well in in, in light of in Carpenter. And yeah. uh, kind of where he was and where he is now, and this is kind of a a strange intermediate kind of thing that blends both together. That's that's really interesting. And I and I like I I, I don't know I, I love his uh, speaking of trilogies like I love his I think he refers to it himself as his end of the world trilogy, and it's what the thing yeah. Prince of Dark Prince of Darkness, which is actually my second pick to talk about. Uh, which is a movie that I genuinely really, really do like because it's so weird. And then Mouth of Madness. And those three movies are, are so much different than each other. Um, yeah. I got, it's funny. It, it's amazing to me that he calls the thing end of the world movie. I guess it is, but it, it, it's apocalypse is so comparatively speaking small. Yeah. Um, that just makes it distinctive. But um, I can't remember what I was going to say in Mouth of Madness. Uh, no, it's, it's very, it, it's strange. Cause the first time I saw it, like I said, it was at the end of the nineties and I was not yet, a big Lovecraft fan. I had read right. some of it, but at that time I was reading more like Stephen King and Dean Koontz and things. So, um, you know, I was more kind of pop horror uh, mm-hmm. at that point as far as what I was reading. So I really didn't get the Lovecraft thing as, as much as I do now, uh, because since mm-hmm. then I've read a ton of Lovecraft and um, I really, really get uh, a lot of what was going on here. And I think it's a great, great representation of Lovecraft um, it compared to a lot of other Lovecraft that I've seen on film, which most of it doesn't well, get it's, Lovecraft. It's, it's, a funny, it's a funny at all. It doesn't get it at all. Right. Like, Mouth of Madness does, I think, um, what it gets right about Lovecraft is, I think, sort of a general sense of unease and, uh, and like, actually, I think, here, we'll, we'll talk my best, my favorite moment in that movie is the moment where they have like what is an, an amazing, must have been an amazing array of like practical effect monsters that chase him down that hallway. Yes. But so in such an intelligent maneuver on Carpenter's part, like he, it's not even, it's barely showcased. It's like right. it's in maybe three shots. I can't even imagine the amount of work that went into that, those three shots because it's like, like the eye can't even really understand. It's like, oh, those are monsters, but there's so much going on there. I don't even know what it is. And you, you just sort of, and that to me is very like, in terms of get, visually getting Lovecraft right, I think is really spot on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then amazing that we never really get a good look at those things at all. Yeah. Um, That's what I loved about it. I was so happy that he didn't dwell on these creatures. You know, you yeah. saw like flashes that were one, two frames at a time. Yeah. And you didn't see them so that, again, I think from a from a storytelling standpoint, a visual standpoint, and even, you know, respecting the audience again, you know, you're, you're left to fill in a lot of the gaps because you're seeing a lot of very quick imagery. A lot of things, people with axes, people that are deformed, these weird creatures, flashes of things, you don't even really understand what's going on at first. But everything pulls together, I think, fairly cohesively. I think fairly easily. The one, the thing about that movie is that I don't, I don't, I still don't really understand the, uh, the world. Like I, what, I, I, I don't know if I can properly voice this critique. I just, I just wanted a little bit 
more or something like there's I, I wish I could better pinpoint what I thought was mi- what's missing ultimately from well, the movie. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with its book ended. You know, the whole movie is bookended by um, uh, Trent. Uh, John Trent, I think, is the main character's yeah. name, the insurance guy. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's bookended by him being in this mental asylum. At the beginning of the movie, he's being admitted. He's very uh, violent, very, uh, you know, he, he's trying to attack the, the guys that are bringing him in in a straitjacket. And uh, then at the end of the movie, again, we're in the mental asylum, and things kind of are kind of concluded but kind of not it's it's another one of those movies you're questioning reality you're you know did this really happen whose reality are we seeing here is it just trent being insane uh seeing these things because of the book um and there there are a lot of questions so i i like it in that there are so many different little avenues you could go here Mm -hmm. as far as explaining what really went on and i think some good debate could come out of this yeah, I mean, what do you, what do you think happened? Do you think that that he uh, that that Trent is just mad, or do you think that that the bizarre um, Sutter Kane is writing reality and it's becoming real, and then that somehow catches up with itself and the world ends is reality? I don't think there's I don't think that the movie can give us any mm. clear answer. I mean, I think it's it's meant to uh, to confound in some sense. Um, uh, I. Th- you know, personally, um, because of the the end of the movie, but then again, that's not even conclusive. But just because of things that we see at the end of the movie, I'm, I'm drawn to think that this is actually a reality. That somehow, you know, Kane is opening this portal into this other world where the old ones can come through. You know, the whole Lovecraftian thing can happen and... and um, the end of the world starts happening. People go insane. They're killing each other. These creatures are killing people. And I think that that's what it is. And again, without spoiling the movie in case there hasn't, you know, people haven't watched it yet, which I, I think they definitely should. Um, yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's very it's, enjoyable. Like speaking of horror that is unexpected. It's a, it's a, I didn't even know what subgenre of horror I would put that movie in. I mean, aside from Lovecraftian, like it's not, I don't even like, I guess like a metafictional horror because it's like horror about a horror writer who, who then creates more horror or something. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, What do you think though? Personally, you get to the end of the movie. Where do you think things actually ended up? What do you think actually happened? I mean, I'm, I'm in agreement. It's just, it's, it's, it, it, it's so, it's also, um, the movie's so much about itself that I, I think that you have to sort of take it as an apocalypse has occurred in whatever this. But it's like, <laughs> I, I, I can't even really make sense of it because like yeah. I remember I remember being this frustrated by it when I saw it when I was fifteen too, where I was like I don't know what to make of this. Well, I don't want to I don't want to give away the last scene, but like I don't know what to make of it. Like, what does it mean that he goes to that movie theater and sees the movie that he that we all just watched? You know, right. it's like. <laughs> It's really, it's, it's really enjoyably confounding. But what's interesting to me about that is like that, that kind of stuff isn't necessarily Lovecraftian. Like he didn't, he wrote about books that would drive you crazy and sites that would drive you crazy, but he never did. He never like put himself really into his own fiction. Like he never did that kind of like, uh, uh, like fiction about fiction kind of thing. Um, yeah. Which is interesting. I mean, it, it, like in a sense, it's almost like John Carpenter was like, "Well, I'm gonna, 
do one better than Lovecraft and like like take it up a notch in a sense. Yeah. Well, um, what I think he did, I think he did a marriage between Lovecraft and Stephen King. That's true. Yeah. Well, I mean, and actually, it's you know the the name of the of the author in the in in Mouth of Madness is Sutter Kane, which is obviously I think a Stephen King. You know, it sounds a lot like Stephen mm. King when you say it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think he he sort of tossed them together. Um, there's so many creepy things in that movie. Like the the scene when they're driving into the into Hobbs End, I think is great. Oh, um, with that bicycle like, kid and yes, yeah, yeah. And actually, I I loved the the my favorite color is blue scene as well, which is just such a weird hmm. like when he's on the bus. Um, yes, it's so strange. Yeah, I feel like there's a, there's a dearth of I think that's the right word. I wish there were more black magicians in modern day horror cinema. Like, yeah. Sutter Kane is a great, like a great evil magician, and I feel like that's a that's a character archetype that we've sort of lost. Um, yeah, because yeah. there's such a mystical quality surrounding yeah. him this whole movie, and uh, especially once you see it, the first time you see him is he's at that church, that yeah. great big Byzantine church, or I forget how Trent pronounces Byzantine, but it's like Byzantine or something, something <laughs> yeah. weird, and uh, but. He's standing in the doorway, and he doesn't appear as himself, first of all. He appears as, as this child, and then mm-hmm. the doors just start opening, closing, opening, closing. The wind picks up, and all these villagers are outside, you know, coming to coming to rescue this boy, I guess. And then the boy all of a sudden appears as Sutter Kane, and uh, it's just, he just emanates this kind of strange mystical power. And uh, we see that, again, kind of gather momentum as the movie wears on and, and they have a lot to say about religion. I think, uh, mm-hmm. there's a, a religious subtext, you know, I think it has something to say about people who, who follow the Bible and are, are very religious quote, religious people, um, that, uh, you know, they, they follow this text very, uh, on, on the surface level, but, uh, only because, that's what they're they're told to say. So you know, there's a scene towards the end. They're in the confessional, and and it gets a little bit preachy. I think you know, Cain starts to kind of talk true, about yeah. you know a few things, and he kind of uh, he's getting expositional here. He kinda, you know, he's going on a little bit, but uh, you know, so there there is a lot of subtext here that uh, again, I don't think Lovecraft ever really delved into you know he wasn't he wasn't especially preachy about things no but, uh, no he was not at but, least not in his uh not in his fiction in his, i don't know if he's, right. read, if he's read his letters but he was rather preachy in his letters oh um just a few you have the yeah. letters but as far as the fiction goes because people always refer to like uh the mountains of madness yeah um and um what's the other there's another story that people always allude to when they they talk about this film that's very similar to um, uh, is it in, uh, Shadow over Innsmouth? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, they always talk about those. And so I actually went back and, and uh, read both of those uh, here in the last couple of weeks when I knew I was uh, going to be talking about this. And They uh, are amazing stories, those stories. Yes. Well, you know what I thought of? You know, I'm reading, you know, especially in the Mountains of Madness or at the Mountains of Madness or whatever it's called, Mountains of Madness. Yeah. And uh, I'm thinking of The Thing whenever yeah. I'm reading Oh, yeah. That. I mean, wow. that's like when, when I when we started talking about this movie and I, and I said that it was one of the movies that gets Lovecraft almost right. I think the thing is one of the movies that gets Lovecraft absolutely right. Like, I, like the thing, I mean, the thing ha- bears no 
real like like they never name drop anything Lovecraftian. It's not based on a Lovecraft story, but but uh, it's such a Lovecraft story. Like, like it's yeah, so it's, you know it's it's amazing. Um, yeah, I haven't read yeah. that for a long time, and I'm I'm so glad I went back and read it because I'm like, oh my god. Like I gotta watch the thing again, and the thing is one of my all-time favorite movies. I mean, I, I just think it's an amazing it. movie. Well, this is what I mean by like John John Carpenter's trajectory as a filmmaker. Just like he made so many amazing movies, and then like at a certain point, he just sort of um, like he starts to indulge in schlock. Like I like yeah. I like I like Escape from New York, and I honestly love Big Trouble in Little China. But you can feel that he has this. There's like two John Carpenters. There's like the really intense. Um, stylistic man who makes amazing movies like Halloween and The Thing, and then there's the guy who's like, I just want to make John Wayne westerns. And I don't care if they're crummy. Who makes <laughs> like right. uh, Escape from New York and 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 then but then that man eventually makes Vampires, which I think is abysmal, and he makes Ghosts of Mars, which I can't sit through. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, it's it, it's it's an interesting career, and I I really like They Live, um, but I mean it's it They Live is a pure B movie. Like there's not much that elevates. They live unlike Halloween, which is like the style elevates it and the atmosphere elevates it and the acting, like everything in Halloween feels elevated to me, but they live. is just like, he wanted to make an allegory about how marketing is evil. And so he hired Roddy Roddy Piper to beat up, uh, that guy's name. I can't remember. <laughs> That's amazing. That, that scene right there is a total oh, yeah, WWF I mean, scene. I, I love they live, but it's, it, it just feels it doesn't feel to me like the man who made the thing could possibly have made they live. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Do you agree? Do you agree with that or no? Yeah. It's so different. I mean, it is, I don't even know what to say about it because it's, it's, it's hard for me. Like you said to, to know that the same guy that I saw in Halloween and the thing, these movies that just really got to me made movies like they live. And it's, and, right? and th- it's it's so different, and I don't know how to take it. Yeah. I just don't because again, they live has a lot of good things to say about it. Yeah, but uh, but it's not Halloween. <laughs> no, by no means. It, it's so yeah. far. Rem- I mean, man, it's apples and oranges. And who is the real John Carpenter here? I mean, who who is the real guy? I mean, I'm I'm really <laughs> hoping it's it's this guy that made Halloween and the thing and loves horror and is really. I mean, did success like kind of screw him up here? I mean, he's he's seen a lot of money, a lot of a lot of things I don't come know. his way. I, I kind of I, I kind of chalk it up to him. <clears throat> like I chalk it up to what I think if you knew him would be a good personality trait, which is I, I feel like maybe he just has an array of interests and 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 no interest in repeating himself. Mm. Um, so that I think would lead somebody to say, okay, well, I've done, I've done, you know, kind of like a Lovecraftian horror movie, and I've done I kind of invented the stock and slash movies. I'm not going to do that again. Um, although, I mean, he didn't really invent it, but like he sort of perfected it, shall we say. Mm. Um, and so he, and, and I, like, if you listen to him interviews, he, he, he says that he always kind of wanted to make a Western. So I feel like you start to feel his other interests seep in, but then, you know, for whatever reason, he just never made anything in those other interests that was nearly as good as his horror stuff. Um, yeah. And what's weird, I mean, Halloween, he really didn't intend to make anything profound. It yeah. Was, it was yeah. just kind of, he, he wanted to make a horror film. He wanted to make, yeah. a, you know, something that was going to appeal to the horror audience. And, you know, so many people read into it 
And so many people try to say, oh, he was trying to do this, or this was a metaphor for that. And then again, you, you hear interviews with him, and he was like, well, no, we were just trying to make a horror film. It's great that people are reading these things <laughs> into it, but really, I didn't intend anything. It's just just a slasher, is yeah. all it is. So, I don't know. Was his heart maybe elsewhere? You know, was he maybe, and it's kind of funny to say, was he maybe trying to make something a little more accessible and commercial with Halloween? And then the things that he really wanted to make, that's what we're seeing nowadays, now that he's seen success and he has some money, he has some comfort. You yeah. Know, it's, that's, that's interesting. It's, yeah, it's, it's always those vexing questions with artists who are great at what they do and like they, yeah. they disappoint you or they, but you know, I guess we should learn, I should learn my own lesson, which is that, you know, you have to approach these things with an open mind. Yeah. That being said, uh, when I approach, uh, Ghost of Mars with an open mind, my mind instantly closes because it's <laughs> so bad. <laughs> I saw that on a plane with no audio because I was one, you know, you had to pay for it. Um, well, that's a small blessing, I guess. Yeah. You so I hear the acting. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, eh, you know, I'm not going to pay for it. But the guy in front of me, you know, he, he had it on his screen. So I was kind right. of kind of watching it. And even without the audio, I'm like, there is no way I, I, I want to watch this film because I saw it. I saw a lot of it. And it just did not appeal to me whatsoever. I could tell, even without hearing it, that it wasn't going to be any good. So, and that's, I, I've seen, uh, he did, what, one or two Masters of Horror. Um, yeah, uh, he did Cigarette Burns, which is like my favorite Masters of Horror because it's so weird. The one about like the movie, it's kind of similar to Mouth of Madness, actually. The movie <clears throat> that's like lost, but like super mystically powerful. And then like, there's like this weird angel thing. Mm-hmm. And then his other one, I didn't see, uh, but I can't remember which one it was. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's such a strange path that he's gone. And, uh, but you can't deny that he's a great filmmaker. You know, he has, he has the good, he has the bad, and he has things that are just kind of like, why did he do this? But (laughs) I mean, Carpenter, a great filmmaker. You can't deny that. No, it's true. But I, I do stand by Mouth of Madness probably being the last, uh, like, I don't know. Would you call *Mouth of Madness* a good movie? I, I, I I'm yeah. still kind of struggling with it because I still, I still feel like there's something missing that I can't put my finger on. But yeah, okay, let's go with it's the last. I think the last good John Carpenter movie. No, I agree. Uh, it's it's definitely a good movie, and people need to see it. Um, yeah. There's I, again, there's a lot of interpretation that can go on there. I think there's a lot mm-hmm. of discussion. You can talk about how does how does fiction affect people? You know, following certain writers and really, really getting into them and and having this kind of strange devotion to them, you know, and there's, there's some great, you know, I think conversation that can go on here. Um, and it's fun. Uh, there's definitely some disturbing imagery. There's some, mm-hmm. there's some great things. I mean, we didn't even talk about, uh, what Mrs. Uh, Pickford at the hotel, you know, yes. how weird that is. I'd love, <laughs> who is that actress? I've seen her in like a million things. She, she is the log lady from Twin Peaks, I believe. That's probably where it and is. And she's also, I think, um, Happy Gilmore or, uh, so he's, she's in some Adam Sandler movie too. Um, but I can't remember, I can't remember which one or who she plays. I think those are the two things that, that she's known for. Yeah. Um, she's one of those people you see them on screen and immediately you, you've yeah. seen them so many other places. Um, but she does a great job. Of course, she has this weird role and I, I don't want to give too much of that away, but it's definitely <laughs> yeah, her disturbing. Scenes, her scenes are amazing. Like the, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it's full of amazing sequences. Yeah. Um, that movie. Yeah. And we didn't even mention Charlton Heston. 
Yeah, Charlton Heston's in it and yes. Sam Neill. I don't think did you say that Sam Neill played? No, uh, no, yeah. I didn't. No, that's... I love Sam Neill. Yeah, uh, un- related but unrelated. I don't know if you ever seen Sam Neill's screen test to be James Bond because for a while he was up to be James Bond. Um, I, I could see him doing that. Exactly. Well, to be fair, when I first heard that, I was like, "Really, Sam Neill, James Bond?" And then uh, I saw his screen test, which is on, I think it's on like a Living Daylights DVD or something, and I was like, "Oh." Holy crap, like, Sam Neill is James Bond. <laughs> like, he does it really, really well. It's incredible. Um, and it makes me kind of sad that we never saw a Sam Neill James Bond. Wow. Yeah, I can, I can definitely yeah. see that. But, yeah. uh, so you would, you would recommend In the Mouth of Madness to, to horror doubt. fans? I would recommend it to horror fans. I'd recommend it to probably actually just horror fans. If you love Sam Neill a lot, I guess I'd recommend it then too. But, yeah. Um, and definitely if... I feel like we were when Del Toro was going to make uh, Mountains of Madness, we were on the cusp of like a huge Lovecraft explosion. That's yeah. kind of, that, that's ebbed a little bit, but if you have any interest in like the history of horror or Lovecraft or, or even really Stephen King, it's, it's worth, worth seeing. It's a weird movie, but it's really good. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, you should definitely pick this up. Um, it's a great watch. And uh, so man, Philip, thank you for, uh, for bringing this movie up. And again, I haven't seen this this since the late nineties. And when you mentioned it, I'm like, I got a reason to watch this again. <laughs> and, uh, I appreciated it a lot more. Like I said, mostly for the Lovecraft influence mm-hmm. and, uh, the imagery. And I think this is one of my favorite Lovecraft inspired films. Um, because again, there aren't a lot of them out there that get it right. And, uh, yeah. this one definitely did as far as the mythos of the old ones and, yeah. and, uh, bring them into it. So, uh, thank you again. This is a great pick. Thank so, you. Absolutely. Well, again, the bleeding house, an amazing film. Uh, where can people find out more about you and what's going on as far as like, uh, do you have, you obviously have Twitter and, uh, are I you do. on Facebook uh, as well? I am on Facebook, uh, on Twitter. I am PM Jeepers, uh, is my Twitter handle. Um, and I have a Tumblr if you want to see random images that I tumble, <laughs> uh, it's philipgillette.tumblr.com um, and Facebook. And you can see Bleeding House on Netflix. Um, I think you can also get it on like Amazon Watch Now maybe. Uh, and it's on DVD. So hopefully uh, people will check it out. Awesome. And if you hate it, you can write reviews and then my <laughs> wife will read them to me and you will know that you've caused me some pain. So there you go. <laughs> oh, no. I hope you're not inviting more of this uh, wow because you don't deserve it i really love the movie and and so i, I don't want to bring that on you man wow that's all right ah uh, well philip thank you again for joining me tonight and uh, i i sincerely hope that we can uh, speak together again yeah and, for sure um i can't wait to see what you do next so uh thank you again and have a great night man thank you This is my dream, bitch. 
without moderation. Right now, I'm sitting down with a couple people that uh, I'm really excited to be talking to, and this isn't the first time I've talked to them, and actually, I've hung out with them in person at Cinema Wasteland. They're some of my favorite people to hang out with, especially at a horror convention. So right now, I'm really happy to introduce to you Eric Lowther and his lovely wife, Anna. Guys, thank you for joining me tonight. Oh, thanks for having us. Absolutely. So what are you guys up to? How you doing? What what you been up to? You're just on the zombie mob here not long ago, and that was that was a lot of fun. Uh, what's going on? Actually, we're still kind of recuperating from a, a very long road trip. We we drove from Ohio out to uh, Seattle, Washington. Wow. That's a bit of a hike. Man. Yeah, the, uh, that was, uh, and we did it in, what, three days? Less than. About a little, little less than three days. So. Oh, wow. And then we flew back, so we're still doing the uh, getting rid of jet lag. And Oh, yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, of course, you know, Eric, you're a writer, man, and uh, I've read some of your stuff, and it's just you're, you're really talented. And, um, oh, thank you. And uh, so tell everybody a little bit about uh, what you do and what kind of stuff you're into and where people can read your read your work. Well, he he can't tell you about what he's into. That's there's got to be there's got to be FCC regulation. Oh, this, this, is po- this is podcasting. There's there's no rules here. Anything there's, goes. Any anything goes. I mean, yes. Yeah, come on. You've heard some of the podcasts I've heard, trust me. Oh, well then goes. in that case my my story Lyle's got is yeah, not, that's, it's, it's not yeah, unmentionable. Yeah, you're all okay. good. Uh, well, I, I guess the biggest thing, well, I I've been writing for quite a few years now. Um, you can go to uh, my Finally, have my website up, uh, ericarlowther.com. Uh, there's also my blog spot by the same address. Uh, you can catch uh, roughly 30 different short stories, uh, a couple of novellas, all for free. Uh, I've also got my first novel, Area 187, Almost Hell. It's uh, 16, 614 pages of zombie goodness. Yes. So you can uh, find that at Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble. You can get it through... Uh, Standard brick and mortar bookstores, if you could find them anymore. Um, I think it's a special order, though, through catalog. But if you ask them, they can order it for you. Um, other than that, I'm, I'm working on the sequel to that. It's been very well received. Uh, I'm very happy with uh, its stance. It's been in the top 100 Kindle and Kindle horror books for eight out of the last 12 months. Wow. Uh, quite a few good reviews. Quite a few good things being said about it, and. Uh, Definitely, uh, there's there's some small segment of the horror reading public out there that's wanting uh, part two. So it is in process. It's in the works. Awesome. Congratulations on that success, man. That's uh, great. And, of course, uh, Anna also writes and is an editor as well. Yeah, yeah. Anna, what kind of stuff are you into? What what kind of stuff do you write? Actually, I'm, I'm uh, you know kind of embarrassed to say I haven't ever read anything of yours. Well, well shame on you because uh, I've got yeah. some free stuff out there, too. But, oh, man. Uh, uh, the same kind of thing. It's. It's uh, all horror, a little bit of fantasy here and there. So I, I did write one that was a pirate versus dragon kind of thing, which is definitely more fantasy. That but, sounds awesome. Uh, I actually kind of sometimes like to remind Eric that I published before he did. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my stuff's at Anna M. Lowther at Blogspot. Uh we're in the process of porting my stuff over to the main site, but I don't think it's all there yet. And uh, I've got three new an- appearances in anthologies 
that uh, are either out now or will be out very soon. Uh, Lyle Perez at Rainstorm, I'm in two anthologies that he just released on Amazon, either standard paperback or at or Kindle, and one's called Whacked, the other one's called Nailed, uh, that nailed a, an anthology of erotic death. Uh, whacked, Ooh. I think, is just Whacked, and then a Weird War anthology that I just yesterday got the proof on the cover, so that should be out within the month, I would say. Awesome. Well, and of course, we of course we have chicken soup appearances. Yes, yes, I'm I'm in a chicken soup that is just being released the end of this month. So. Oh, wow. Oh, that's cool. Yeah so, yeah, so she's an anthology called Whack, which is basically horror stories involving death right at the... No, right that at, Nailed is... Oh, Nailed is the... Na- uh, nailed, the qualifications on his submission call was that one of your main characters in the story had to die at the moment of orgasm. And what yes, a concept. That's, that's been released the same time that uh, Chicken Soup appeared. So I, I <laughs> nice. kind of have to watch which audience I'm plugging at. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Well, yeah, it, it sounds like you're quite diverse, and I love it. That's uh, <laughs> that's crazy, but I'll have you know all your all your links up on my website too, and uh, make awesome. sure people can uh, find out more about you, read your stuff, buy some books, and uh, hopefully make you a filthy rich. So there you go, there you go. That'd be, that's always the plan. Yes. Getting rid of the day job is the key. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I hear you. But, uh, well, guys, I really appreciate you joining me tonight because I- I've wanted to review movies with you and stuff. And as as we were talking, this one was just kind of arbitrary and there was really no real reason that I picked this one specifically to review with you. You know, it was a, a pretty new one that I knew was out there that I wanted to see and review at some point. And it just at that point, we were talking about doing a segment. So this is what we uh, this is what we got. This is uh, from 2011. This is the Theater Bazaar. So you guys hadn't seen this prior to watching it for the show, right? No, I hadn't. I, didn't, I had, and oddly enough, I hadn't even heard about it. And I usually keep pretty good, uh, as you know, I, I do other movie reviews. I tend to try to keep a good finger on the pulse of what's coming out, what's going on. And this one somehow slipped past me. So, And unusual for me because I keep my eyes open for the anthology type films that's yeah, her, her that, those are her favorites. So it kind of it was kind of odd that it got past both of us. So yeah, yeah. So and this it just came up in like a new release kind of thing. I I hadn't even been following it or anything. You know, it just I just saw it. and I'm like, oh, well, that's new. And I well, like, and it's odd because some of the people in the cast are are fairly well known horror names, and yeah. for that to just kind of slip past me is is kind of odd. I usually pick up if you're going to have you know like Savini or Debbie Rashawn. I love Debbie Rashawn, so when I see yeah. her her name pop up in something, I'll watch it. You know regardless of what it is. So. Oh yeah. Udo Kier, you know, is kind yeah, of, the, I, yeah, especially. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that guy. Well, he's he's kind of, he's not been known for horror in his past, but it seems like he's been doing a lot more over here recently. So yeah. Yeah, he has. He's, uh, he's done stuff with like Argento and, um, uh, well, I guess, you know, back in the day he did, uh, he has done some older Argentus, like in the seventies, he was in, uh, Suspiria. Yeah, but it, you know, like he was one of those guys that got embarrassed about doing horror. So he kind of yeah. slipped away from it a little bit. Yeah, and now it seems like he's he's starting to go back into it again. So yeah, yeah, and he's a creepy dude, but oh yeah, he fits very well. So. <laughs> yeah, so um, I'll just kind of give a you know there is a framework that goes around these six stories. We have six separate uh, tales that we see, and uh, Udo Kier 
uh, is the main part of this uh, these cutscenes that we see uh, going in and out, and we have a little kind of a story. Basically, it's this weird girl that's obsessed with this this theater, this old crazy theater, and it's kind of run down, and and so she goes over there and and sits down, and there there's this weird play going on with this puppet guy who's all made up to be all wooden, and he moves all mechanically and everything. That's Udo Kier. And he starts telling these weird stories. And uh, from there, we just we, we start going into the first, uh, the first scene. So, uh, I mean, first of all, guys, what would you, you think of, of Kier here doing this? you think he did a good job? Did you kind of follow what, it, what was going on in the cutscenes? I actually wanted to, I wanted to see more, because the first couple of cutscenes, like the first one's nothing at all. They're, all it is is just the visual. And the second one is only a few words. I really would have rather seen a little more from those first couple of scenes with with him. Uh, you know, if you're going to go by classic you know, horror movie anthology standards, the setup on this one was kind of weak until they get into left, like the second or third vignette is when they really started to, to go into it. And you need a little. I think you need just a little bit more, especially when, you're, when this movie really didn't have a lot of uh, pre-release hype to it as to what's going on. And I, I'd like to have seen a little bit more and a little more dialogue from him in those first couple of cut scenes, but you know they caught up fairly nicely. So. Yeah, yeah. Anna, what do you think? Did you enjoy that? I did. In fact, uh, I kind of hate to say so, but I liked that really better than any of the of the segments. <laughs> I, I liked the overall con, and I don't want to spoil it this early in the review, but I liked his role and how that all evolved and played out yeah you know, well, his body language too and the and the, the first few cut scenes where it was much more mechanical than anything else right. he did a very nice job with the body language and the movements and mm-hmm. you know giving that impression of being an automaton yeah because i i know what you mean and i i kind of felt like i was more involved like more invested in what was going on in the cutscenes than anything else that i saw because everything else those stories all the segments just happen so quickly and I think it's really hard, you know, to really develop character and to get you to really care about these people and stuff. I mean, it just, these are all just big shots of horror for the most part. There are a couple ones that aren't so much. But, you know, these are all just pretty intense, bizarre. I mean, that's, you know, describes it perfectly. Well, and, I think part of the problem with them, though, was there was no unifying theme. Because a lot of these yeah. movies, that, watching the credits, I noticed a lot of them already had distribution. Uh, yeah. So it doesn't feel to me like these were made for this movie. It feels like several of them were already out there and they wanted a way to string some of these shorts together to get more promotion to them because some of them already had distributors. If you watch the credits, you can see the, who the distributing companies are. Uh. So I don't think these are necessarily made for this movie. It's, and with not having any, anything unifying, it kind of strikes me as somebody was watching a bunch of different stories. I mean, you know, if we can put these ones together, it, it just, that's way how it came across to me. Anyway, I'm not sure how it's put together, but I know a lot of them already had distribution. So, well, all six segments are directed by a different person, and then the the Udo and, and the, the theater, the cutscenes, are directed by someone else. So there are actually seven different directors involved. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. I mean, every it, it, it's a big mis- mishmash of, yeah. of uh, stories. Yeah, different countries and different—everything was took place in different countries. You know, I did France, Germany— it just, it was like, it's almost like, like the old 70s days where they wanted to make a movie, so they only shot 10 minutes of footage, but then took footage from 17 other zombie movies and kind of <laughs> shoved it all together and 
didn't think anybody would notice. You know? Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's. I mean, even the, I, I, we'll get into talking about these, but I mean, there was no, you know, some of them were more uh, philosophical and a lot less horror and other ones were just gruesome and some of them had monsters. So it's, it's like, it was really uneven to me, the selection and, um. Um, let's just talk specifically now about, uh, the, these crazy, crazy, um, you know, uh, segments here that we see, I guess. Um, the first one is mother of toads. And, uh, you know, the first thing I'm thinking of is like, is this like Argento, you know, I had to see if he was directing it because, you know, we had like mother of tears and the, you know, Suspiria mother of sighs and things like that. So I'm like, well, oh. it, it, well now, now there is a connection there because it did have a suspicious seventies horror, Italian horror flavor to it, even though it was supposedly, yeah. you know. Done in, done in France, it, it, the feel of it was, it definitely felt like one of those. Yeah, yeah. And, and of uh, course, we have to have another another Necronomicon-style book popping up, so. Hey, yeah, yeah, that was, uh, of course, that's a standard uh, in horror anywhere. And, uh, yeah, we have these tourists, you know, man and his wife, and they're, what are they, in France? I think they are in France. Yeah, they're in France. Um, and... They find this weird uh, jewelry when they're in the marketplace, and the woman that's selling it uh, uh, tells the guy, because he notices that the symbol on it is, like, from the Necronomicon or something, you know, because he's a Necronomicon buff. And uh, she's like, ooh, I can I actually have it. I can show it to you. Come to my house tonight. And uh, and he goes there, and uh, without his or his fiance, I think they're going to be married. I don't know if they are married. And uh, she ends up seducing him. She gets him drunk and seduces him. And it's kind of weird because she's like this really old witch kind of lady. And then uh, there are times when she appears to be much younger. And, and then he wakes up in the morning and she's this big lizard thing. And I mean, it's it's weird. What do you guys think of this? Well, the first thing that jumped out at me is I didn't notice it until... She was in the process of getting him drunk. He had a very definite Jesus Christ vibe going on, the, the appearance. And then they, they would cut to scenes in the, ne- in the book, that her version of the Necronomicon, and was the old woman and, and the man that looked almost just like him. And, I don't, and the picture on the nightstand that was obviously... Yeah, I don't know whether they were going for some pseudo-religious theme thing there, or if I was picking up something that wasn't meant to be there. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't... And that was a problem. I I wanted this one to be longer um, because I just felt like the whole thing was really rushed, and there there could have been a lot more that they they could have done with it. You know, it's... I I don't know how long it clocks in at, but it could have been twice as long, and I think they could have develop this a little bit better i mean i wonder if i'm wondering if maybe there is a version out there that is longer and maybe it was chopped up to fit into this project that's what it felt like because that's a feeling yeah it does feel like there was something else there something more there and because there's a whole day that basically passes in the night within seconds yeah that you know there's nothing there's no explanation nothing going on it it just it does feel like there was something was was hacked out of it so yeah well and i found it very strange the the girlfriend, fiance, whatever she was, comes, looks in the door, sees him making love to the witch who's now a very young, beautiful woman, stands there and watches for several minutes, then just goes back to the car to sit and wait. <laughs> um, well, she did knock on the door. Yeah. Before before she saw him. She did knock. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, and the first the first top off is during that particular during that particular scene. She's obviously covered in this green slime. So you would think your first tip off that, you know, something's not quite right here, but mm-hmm. yeah, and a million toads just all over the place. Um and I, I you know, I I thought this was shot well. I thought it looked really good. Um, you know, I liked all the scenery and and the old kind of country that we see, the spooky house and and the frogs. I think they did that well, the toads whatever. And um and then the big the monster toad thing, you know, that gets her in the car and, and is sleeping with, with the guy and uh, eventually comes out and gets him as well. Like, I, I, I dug that visually. Uh, it, it was really, really cool. Uh, visually, the, the camera work was, was quite well done, especially when they were in the bazaar where they first meet the old woman. Yeah. I thought those scenes were shot very well, uh, you know, especially when you're working with a crowd like that and, you know, confined space in the marketplace. I, overall, technically, I think it was well done, and I think there's a lot more to that story that either we didn't see because it was cut, or the directors couldn't do because of budgetary issues. Yeah, yeah, who knows? But I did want more. It, it just felt chopped off, and um, it would have been, I think, a lot better if it w- would be expanded. So I am interested in, in finding out if there is something bigger out there. So, yeah, yeah. So anything else about this one before we move on to the next one? Is there, um... No, that's pretty much in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, a decent thing visually, but, uh, not, again, nothing too special in my eyes, I don't think. Um, now, this next one, it's called I Love You, um, and it's kind of confusing, and it, it was kind of weird. We get uh, we get some disturbing imagery as far as some bloody things going on, and um, but this is basically a love story. A woman is leaving her husband, and so this is the whole drama between these two. And uh, we see kind of their story and their rocky relationship. And and uh, this one just confused me. Like, I, well, I really didn't know what was going on. Yeah, it, it got it got me for a little bit until we got about uh, there was a lot of there was a lot of images used twice. Not the exact same image, but the, the feel of the image was used like when they're in bed together, that that whole imagery is repeated again. And once it started repeating, I kind of figured out, okay, we're we're in nonlinear mode now. Yeah. So it it kind of it kind of gave its hand away a little too soon, I think. But then again, being a short, you know, it, it's kind of hard to gauge that because if you're gonna if you're gonna do it nonlinear, you kind of have to make the your your money shot isn't the very end. Your money shot is the moment the character realizes, you know, that what's going on it hasn't in his mind hasn't been a linear timeline. Right. Right. Uh, Anna, did you follow this? I mean, what were you what were you thinking yeah, as you're watching it? Actually, I I stayed with this this whole thing, and I I kind of pegged this one from the very first initial scene when uh, the first scene, like as you say, was bloody, but it was him in the bathroom, and the bathroom is stark white, and he's in all white clothes except for the little bit of blood that splashed around, and I think that was meant to to signal that he's in his, uh, it's a mental breakdown and he's in his own all white happy room, mm. so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. It was, just, that was a great, again, visually really cool. Having that all white with just the blood, you know, being the only real color in the picture. Yeah. So I, I dug that. And that was, that was pretty much, you know, most of the, I think the whole rest of the room was pretty much that way too. Um, and yeah, so uh, but my favorite part, you know, again, it, it's just the tale of, you know, these two basically breaking up and his his breakdown. He's obviously losing it. 
Um, but I'll tell you, the, my favorite part, and I think it was actually really great, was uh, at the end he cuts his own throat. And mm-hmm. I love that. And he, the blood is just pumping out there, and he's just lying there saying, I love you, I love you. So it's this well, guy, he can't deal with a breakup, and he kills himself. And, that's... Well, and that was a great mimicry of the lovemaking scene, because the way he slits his shirt and falls across her was exactly the same camera angle and everything of her, him being on top of her. Oh, so good So it kind of all wraps back in. Oh, I didn't think of that. That's, yeah. that's right. Oh, awesome, awesome. So... I don't know, Eric. Overall, what did what did you think of this? Was it effective? It was. Uh, it it was effective. I I think. I, the acting was actually fairly good in it. Mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised with that for a short. I thought the, the I didn't catch his name. The lead on that one, uh, I thought he played manic very well. Um, o- mm-hmm. Overall, I'd say it was it was certainly watchable. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe just. A little bit. When you're dealing with a non-linear story, it's very hard to pull off in, in basically like an eight or ten minute short. Yeah. So you've got to be very careful when you're playing with time like that in such a short piece. Yeah. Yeah. But they, uh, overall, yeah, I, I thought it was a good addition. Yeah, I'd like, I like. I think they really communicated the the disparity of the relationship and his his mania, like you were talking about, um, and kind of what was going on there. The characters. I think they communicated the characters uh, uh, really well in this um but you know overall it's just like eh, you know the the blood was cool um but all in all i'm like eh, it's not really as horrific i guess as i was expecting so i don't know i think i think maybe with the proper amount of time and a few more characters put in i you would have had that just they didn't have the time to put more basically more bodies into it so Yep, yep. So that's, uh, yeah, that's I Love You. And anything else to, to add to this um, about this certain segment here before we move on? No, I don't think so. No, I think that pretty much covers it. When you're yeah. dealing with short ones like this, there's not a whole lot you can really do without. No, no. All right, well, next one, uh, you know, I was really happy. Again, I, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about any of these, and I'm like, oh, Tom Savini directs this next one. It's called Wet Dreams. And, uh, in fact, Tom Savini stars in it. He has a role, uh, not the main role. Well, one of the main roles, actually, he does. Um, and, uh, interestingly enough, um, I, I think he kind of plays a version of himself. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we were discussing that, actually. I guess, as, as far as like people who go to horror conventions goes, when you, meet, when you get somebody who, who's met Tom for the first time, you ask him one question, you say, did you meet good Tom or evil Tom? Yeah. And they know exactly what you're talking about as soon as you ask the question. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, th- I think because his walk around basically almost the entire time he's on screen is a highball glass. I'm thinking maybe it was actual alcohol and not doctored tea like they usually use. Uh, yep. I'm thinking maybe that's why his acting was a little better. He's a little, you know, a little yeah. more smooth, you know. Yeah. But I, I've always, I, uh, his direction, even going back to the, the 1990 remake of Night of the Living Dead, mm-hmm. I he did a fantastic job directing that. I'm, I really was surprised he didn't do more direction after that. Yeah. Because I, I thought it was, I thought the direction was fantastic in it. Yeah, I agree. So what'd you think of this? Um, as far as like story and how he well, executed it. You had, you had a couple, you had a couple in here. You had Tom Savini, you had Debbie Rashawn. It's really hard to get something screwed up when you got two people like that involved in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're talking, you're talking about two basically of the, uh, the uncredited masters of the craft there. So, Right. I, I really like this one, and it really it really harkened back to like a Tales from the Dark Side or a Tales from the Crypt style story to me. Yeah, yeah, it was total revenge. You know, that it was all about cheating, and uh, this 
this guy um, was having these weird dreams and uh, about you know raping his mother and just all these crazy things. And he's seeing a psychologist, Tom Savini, and uh, Tom tells him, you know, oh, you know, they start saying all this weird stuff about dreams are reality and and you know we get into lucid dreaming and stuff. And so you have a hard time telling what's real and what's not. And uh, there's some graphic stuff going on, and I I, I kind of liked it, you know, and that you're guessing the whole time, like, is this really happening? Because there's some. Yeah, I think I think this one did a lot better job with that. Is this real? Isn't this real? Uh, than really a lot of other full you know full length feature films do, even given it its short time. I think it did a much better job of fooling you basically as to you know what is really going, on, what isn't going on, and it's really not even cleared up all the way through to the end if no. this is really going on. Right, right, and uh, it has a great ending. Um, I, you know, it's this was really entertaining. Um, Anna, what do you think of this? Well, uh, one thing that I did want to say that really impressed me with this one is I'm typically not a fan of a director who's directing himself. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's playing such a pivotal character in it, and I thought Savini did an amazing job with with that you didn't get any of that disconnected feeling of when is he behind the camera and when is he in front of the camera and i thought it was very smooth and and very well done in that respect and i also agree it had a definite uh tales from the crypt mm-hmm. vibe to it with the the double revenge sort of a who's cheating who who's who's getting even with who and the well, it seems like out of all of them, the people who made this one had the most fun while they made it. Yeah. Just, I got that impression. I got that feeling this was one that, you know, they could really sink their teeth into as opposed to some of the other ones that were really a lot more impressionist type. And I thought the the effects, the props used in this one were the best of any of the segments. In well, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, typically when you're talking about, let's just be delicate enough to say dismembered parts <laughs> they typically really look tacky and know that they were spot on on this one. Oh yeah yeah even the, the when she rips off his eyelids at the mm-hmm. end that looked great i mean it looked fantastic well so. and that was going back to the whole thing of you never really know even all the way up to the end is he actually dreaming this or not because she took away the only mechanism he had to if it was a dream to end it by if it was in a dream, you're pulling off the eyelids, you can't wake, you can't open your eyes. Yeah. So whatever reality you're in, you're stuck in. Yes. Yes. So. Uh, definitely, definitely the high point of this so far, uh, going through these first few segments here. I mean, this one just blew the others away to me. Do you guys agree? Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So Tom Savini, man, there's, there's, here's a check mark in the good column for you, man. This is, you know, you <laughs> did, he, he did great here. Um, yeah. So, um, if that's that about uh, about this one, uh, definitely crazy. Let's move on to the next one, which is a complete 180. I mean, this it's, this really didn't even belong in this. It didn't. It didn't. It was like I, it <laughs> seemed like filler. They're like, oh man, we got to fill like five more minutes here to to get a good. I think time. this was the director's brother-in-law. Yeah. The, 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 was putting the project together, I think it was his brother-in-law that directed this one. Come on, man, I need this one big shot. Come on. Yeah. This is his uh, college, this, yeah, his college project, you know, for his, his yeah, that's, for film Really, school. that's exactly what I was, I've got in my notes, I've got college film project. Yeah. This is what I wrote down for this. So, it's not that it was badly done. No, um, it just it had no place in this. Yeah, yeah, it was so, I mean, I was expecting something 
I'm like, oh, it's going to get good. Oh, oh man. And it just, it's a big kind of boring little meditation on life and death. And mommy, why do people die? And yeah. that's, you know, that's pretty much the whole I thing. That, I was hoping that the, like the undead dog would come back to get yeah. her or something. I mean, something, anything. You yeah, know. they're all in the visually, middle of the road. Visually, it was stunning. The filming, yeah, visually, and, the and, filming was very well done, but it was like it was going for this cerebral. Well, and, and the actors did a very nice job, considering there was so little dialogue. Especially mm. the two guys on the road, mm. the two bikers. That oh, yeah. was very. Their acting was great because they didn't really say a word, and they didn't, I didn't recognize either one of them, especially the older, the older guy, the your typical biker-looking guy. It, mm. He he could do the. Get a message across just with his eyes, yeah. just yeah. with his, his facial expressions. But I'd really rather have seen the movie about him and how he felt about you know having to you know put the dog down. I, I would have rather seen him sitting in a bar someplace later that night having flashbacks about it. Oh, dude, yeah, because yeah, him. with the little girl and her, her mother, you know, which this is all about basically were the least interesting parts. You know, I could have exactly. done yeah. without that. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was. Uh, not horror to me at all and it was well made and it's good but seeing it in this context i'm i'm exactly with you like why is why is this here and it was short and i'm like thank god because we got to move on um but yeah just uh i i don't know (laughs) but i love it the brother-in-law that's dude you're right i kept having the feeling that it was supposed to have a message that i just wasn't getting yeah, it was it was being all philosophical and deep, you know, and it was going for something, like you said, more cerebral uh, than uh, than the other ones, and it just uh, to me it was disappointing. Like I said, I was they're in the middle of the road. I'm expecting like a tractor trailer to come barreling down and just like smash right. the girl or you know something like that, but nothing, nothing. It just kind of ends, and you're like, oh, really? with the Ramones on the uh, stereo on the, in the truck. Yeah. Well, and it- <laughs> It was too different than all the other segments, so it just sort of pulled you out of the whole, the whole experience. It, right, right, yeah. So, yeah, this one, the weakest, I think, of the entire film and just, just didn't belong there. So fast forward through this one because it's really boring. I, I think maybe, maybe the, the producer for the project just thought maybe we needed a break from all the horror, I guess, and just kind of slotted this in there, too. Yeah, well, you know, I, 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 I appreciate variety, and I, I like to see a lot of different things, but uh, this, when you're in a movie, I mean, the thing is called the Theater Bazaar. You know, we're supposed to see really weird, weird stuff, which we pretty much have been up until now. And what's so bizarre about this? Yeah, you know, yeah it, it brought nothing to the table. No, no, it was uh, way out of place. So um, let's move on to the next one. This one... Uh, it was uh, man uncomfortable a lot from actually these last two uh, were, were uncomfortable but this one is called Vision Stains and this is all about a girl that goes around and she kills women uh, she kills you know mostly homeless women drug addicts prostitutes things like that see this is the one I had the most problems with as far as how it was actually done and how it was portrayed yeah because there's a lot of things you know that that don't really add up I and mean, i i get there's some kind of supernatural ability going on here but there's, there's a few things with it and as as we go through it towards the end of it 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 really becomes apparent but uh yeah. it, the, the, the whole premise behind it of course is uh this woman can take visions from people if she gets them right at the moment of death yeah and she does this with a syringe and pulling fluid out from behind the eyeball from the frontal lobe yeah. and then injecting her own eyes 
<laughs> yeah. Which I would not recommend doing. I don't. I'm no biologist, but I don't think it works that way. So yeah, kids I, I, at I, home, yeah. please don't do this. Well, it it was she got their entire life. Uh, yeah, got their whole. And then she was writing it down. So she lived in this rat hole full of all these journals that she'd been writing all these women's stories, which I liked that idea. I thought, well, now that's really interesting. And she's feeling the need to chronicle. It was preachy because she yeah. didn't want, she didn't want men, so only women have lives. Yeah, this of was a very estrogen tale. So. Oh yeah. Oh, but yeah. but I like the idea that she felt that she was preserving their memories forever. She was doing all this, but the books were piled up in this rat hole, so nobody's ever going to read them. And yeah. Well, yeah. and the gist is when when you get towards the end, she she wants to see what. A, an infant in the womb feels and knows and sees. Well, she does this by running up to the woman and shoving the needle into her belly. Again, I'm no biologist. <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm thinking the best you're going to get is maybe some amniotic fluid if you're lucky. How well, do you know where the baby's eyes are at that point? That was you a great shot that you took. Yeah. Oh, it, was, it was a great shot, but the only thing I keep thinking was what the fuck is she doing? Yeah. You definitely get the amniotic fluid, but that was... Yeah. Well, it depends on the length of the needle. But regardless, you don't even know where the hell the baby's head is at that point, let alone the eyes. Well, and the thing is, this lady was a crack whore as well. Um, she was smoking crack, you know, yeah. right before she did this. So, again, this probably isn't the best specimen to be taking fluid from and yeah. injecting it. You know, it's it's probably a little dirty. I like the idea for the story. I, I think that it, this is one that could have been expanded upon, but they really... Horror fans aren't stupid. Uh, most yeah. most of your, your dedicated horror fans know as much about biology as a first year med student. I mean, come on, we've seen it all. <laughs> yeah. And that's the first thing that pulls that pulls me out is when you do something so blatantly wrong. You know, yeah. I, I'm not a brain surgeon. You know, then again, I'm also not a plastic surgeon, but I can tell when somebody screwed that up. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and I have it's a nitpicky point, but why did she inject only into one of her eyes? Yeah, because that one was looking pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, it was... Uh, well, maybe not, it's a thing, you know, if you're out at night, you close one eye when a car goes by, so you don't lose your night vision. Maybe she just want you know, want to make sure one eye still worked. I I thought they just didn't want to pay for the effect for both eyes. I don't know. <laughs> That's probably more than anything else. Yeah, yeah. And t to be honest, the only thing that I liked about this at all was those scenes, those close-up scenes of her injecting her eye, because I thought that was, that was just like, oh, oh, God, ugh. Oh man! Oh, any, well, uh, come on, Tor. We we know from watching seventy zombie movies, no. eye trauma is a that's a big draw. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, oh. eye, well, eye trauma or anything involving the groin, you already know is going to elicit a groan well, from the audience. That mm. effect was well done. Oh no! What? And the basic story premise of being I able like to capture someone's I... entire lifetime and being able to journal it. That was that's sort of a noble concept, and then mm -hmm. they just took it. It and... would have made a good thriller if it was expanded upon. And there was actually a protagonist and antagonist. They could have expanded yeah. that. Actually, made a pretty decent feature-length film out of that concept. I really hate to see they burned it in this short. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it definitely had some good imagery and, and some good thought behind it. But this is one of those cases where you got to go with some biology first. You yeah. got to because you'll pull a real horror fan out of this like nothing when you do something silly like that. Yeah, and I hated the ending to it because Anna, like you said, it was it was so preachy. 
Um, and it, it felt tagged on. Like, I wish it would have a message. Just don't let the message destroy your story. Yeah. And it just, it got so, you know, it's like, oh, you know, it's now that I'm blind, I'm seeing clearer than ever. And now that I can't see, I can dream. And it just got like, oh God, how thick do you got to lay it on here? Come on. I agree. I was waiting for Gloria Steinem to come around. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. So this one, you know, it just, I didn't. I didn't really dig this at all. Just just the visuals and, like you said, the concept, but I think they executed it just all wrong. So, yeah. yeah. Well, all right. Let's move on to the final segment uh, that's called Sweets. Um, this one, it's actually very confusing. Well, actually, I, I, Corey, Corey, before we get to this last one, shouldn't yeah. we kind of look at the cutscenes now? And yeah. See how, they, how, how the progression of the cutscenes are going, because we're almost into the last one now. So as we're going through these cutscenes, uh, we, we get more and more dialogue from. I keep wanting to say ringmaster, but you know that's not appropriate, yeah. <laughs> uh, being in the theater sense. Yeah. But uh, as as the cutscenes go on, of course, you've got each one of these is being introduced by a pseudo animaton. That, that's like we have the the one in the bathtub with the razor, and it shoots out the colored confetti for blood. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought the cutscenes, especially the actors that were playing the parts of the automatons, were doing a fantastic job with the body language, the movements. But as we progress through all of these, and we get to each cutscene, we notice that the actors on the stage become more and more human, whereas she out in the audience is actually turning more and more into the into one of the automatons. Yeah, yeah, and you really start to notice it in this cutscene, like you said, right before the, the final segment. Right when you really first hit it is right after the first one, and, and Anna and I were discussing this earlier, with the eyes. Now, I understand they, yeah. they wanted his him to be able to use his eyes very early on in the cutscenes, right. but that was one of the first transformations was, of course, the painted eyes over top of the closed eyelids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she got those. She got those in like a second cutscene. Right. And his eyes were open. Now, again, they wanted him to be able to use his eyes to emote and to act because most of his face was still wooden. But I think that really tripped things off way too soon as to what was going on with her. Yeah, yeah. But uh, again, you know, I enjoyed seeing this story playing out. Though, you know, it's almost like I couldn't wait for the cutscenes. You know, to see what was going to happen. Yeah, and that, that's a danger in an anthology is when your cutscenes are more more entertaining than your than your stories. Yeah. Yeah, true, true. And uh, so, um, yeah, it was really, really great um, getting into sweets now. This, I've, I've never seen anything quite like this. Um, you know, I, I was confused as to what exactly was going on. Um, but in the end, I actually kind of enjoyed it, you know, especially because of the, the, the ending scene. This is the goriest of all of the segments well, and it was it was one of those where it started off you knew there was a food fetish issue going on. Yeah. But this is another one that this this right here was a tales from the dark side. Yeah. Plain and simple. Because yeah. it had that that it, it laughed about how devious it was being. It, it yes. just it reveled in being a, a playful little devious thing. And, and a lot of the tales from the dark the side top. episodes yeah. did that. Yeah, they were over the top. They were, <laughs> you know, in your face. Look what we're doing. Ha ha ha. Et cetera, et cetera. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's uh, this couple, they're breaking up, but the whole, you know, gist of their relationship has been this food fetish, especially sweets. And we just see all these cutscenes of them just uh, indulging in, like, really strange ways, you know, all of this candy. And I thought this one was, I thought this one was shot very well. Yeah. Uh, the director on this one did a very nice job because all the different cutscenes, 
it's a lot of primary colors. It's very bright, you know, it, it, to, to give that impression of, oh, this is a fun time. Look, we're cramming our faces full of food and having sex, you know. Yeah. It, but it was a very, it was a very four-color world, you know. Right, right. I, I had an immediate problem with this one that perhaps is because I'm a woman and I might have picked up on something differently than you guys as men. But with, oh, we men. Oh. Well, <laughs> with all those food scenes, with all the obvious just gorging on all these sweets, why weren't they just grotesquely obese? Why were they? Yeah. Every, Every woman. Uh, I think there's in some it. bulimia going on there. After <laughs> you couldn't puke enough to get rid of that many calories. <laughs> Come on. And every woman in that, once they got to the party like atmosphere, they were all. Well, but again, I, I think there was an undertone of, of the whole bulimia culture, too. So mm-hmm. I, I think this one had a minor message, but it did it right. It didn't, yeah. you know, it didn't was, blast you in the face with it. Yeah, it wasn't hitting you over the head. Yeah, but this guy is in bad shape. He does not want the relationship to end, and he is just blubbering. I mean, just, (laughs) he did a great job as being the pathetic guy that's just really falling apart because his girl's dumping him. And he is so dependent on her. She was cold. She she did a very nice job projecting that, too. Yeah. Cold... You know, been there, done that. I love you, but I'm not in love with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she leaves and says, okay, I'll see you again later. Okay. And uh, she does. In fact, uh, we go to this party where there are a lot of these kind of people hanging out. And uh, she seems to, you know, she knows everybody there. And, you know, there's something weird going on. Everyone's eating a lot. Again, it's a place where, you know, these food fetishes, uh, fetishists I guess, or whatever you call them. Um, they all kind of hang out and they eat a bunch of stuff. And well, it's... Did, you, did you notice one thing, though? Between In the relationship, they always showed the meeting, of course, the title, Sweets. But when you got to the party, did you notice most of them were eating meat? There wasn't a whole lot of sweets oh, going on. Yeah. Most of it was meat. Yeah. So it's... maybe they keep slim and trim by just you know staying on Adkins. I don't know. Yeah, but... there you go. Yeah. That's... I just thought it was odd that, that all the cutscenes <laughs> were, were sweets and cakes and pies. Well, and that's but the then name when you get of the, the party, segment. Yeah, but then when you get to the party, though, and that really, that's the tip off that they're eating meat. All of this has been is sweets and cakes, but now this at this party, they're all eating bloody meat. I, at that moment, I knew, okay, something, something's not right here because all we've seen is, you know, confections up till this point. Now all of a sudden, we're seeing meat trays being passed around everywhere. Which could it, it's, it was it was a subtle shift, but it was one that if you've watched a few of these, you can pick up. No, on. It, it's symbolic. Yeah. It's symbolic yeah. because the sweets are innocent childhood. And they're also fattening the guy up for the meat. <laughs> but, well, but I, I'm looking at it from, you know, like all the, the cakes and the pies mm-hmm. and the ice cream. This, that's stuff that children crave. Mm-hmm. And then, boom, now we're now we're into the grown-up, the serious, the yeah, adult. And so we switch over to meat. Mm. Oh, yeah. And, and meat they eat because the, all of a sudden these chefs come in. And uh, they're bringing in the guy. And again, I don't remember his name, but the guy that uh, just got broken up with. And they have him tied up. And they proceed to cut him up. Uh, first of all, they cut one of his Achilles tendons, which is just, you know. Actually, oh. both. They yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 We, we should actually add that to eye trauma and groin trauma. Yeah. Because when the director films that right, cutting the Achilles on somebody 
will make anyone wince. I don't care who you are. Most people remember that scene from Pet Cemetery more than well. anything else. Very well, yes. That's you know, the first thing I thought of. They'll talk about the whole movie, yep. but that's the, that's scene, the one that, scene that got them. That and Gage actually getting run over. Those now, are the two from that movie. Yeah. Now, the thing that with the, the slicing of the tendons, and I haven't had time to look this up, but I was just curious. All right, you slice those tendons, you cannot walk. Right. But they pull him forward, and he crawls a few paces. Most times you're crawling using your knees. You're not really using your feet at that point. Your knees are really what you're, what you're doing to, to crawl on. So. Okay. Oh, that that just it that took me out mentally for a second because my mind went, wait a minute, could you still crawl when? Yeah, you know, you're you're using your knees to your hands and knees to crawl. That makes that makes sense. True. I'm just saying that bothered me. But because yeah, anytime you see somebody take a razor to an Achilles, yeah, I don't care. Oh, you wince. Yeah, just, yeah. So. And and the thing is, he okay, doesn't. Okay, so all the genital trauma back there in in wet dreams uh-huh. didn't bother you two at all. With the Achilles tendon. <laughs> if you've seen as many, she the was kind of... frying his penis. If for you've, God's seen, you've seen the kind of movies that Corey and I have seen over the course of our lives, you've seen enough <laughs> genital mutilation that. Yeah. You really, after a point, you get hardened by it. But eye trauma and that Achilles thing, okay. I don't care who you are, that sticks with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it, it, that is weird, though, Anna, that you bring that up, <laughs> because that didn't bother that. Hey, <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead, slices. You know, I, 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 I don't know. the frying pan. Yeah. Doing for breakfast. But, yeah, I I don't know what that is. That's that's really interesting though. I never uh, I was never very conscious of that. That was, that was really more for the visual because she had been making sausages all through the thing for breakfast yeah. and all that. That was just that was more just a, a visual recall to you know which which furthered in that particular segment the whole is he dreaming is he not dreaming you know yeah did the sausage have any the sausage have any meaning in the first couple of scenes where she was cooking it as opposed to this time or was it just supposed to harken back and. Yeah, yeah a lot of it's context. But yeah, you know, it's it's how how it's presented and where it is in the story and kind of what you're seeing around it and everything. So, you know, that that probably has something to do with it. But uh, I don't know this ending scene. I mean, he's he's just ripped apart and they they tear him open. They eat every every part of him, his guts, uh, just everything. It is a big bloody orgy at this point. I'm well, just, and I think I've actually seen. I can recall two different. Tales from the Dark Side episodes that dealt specifically with Lucky. shadow societies that ate people. And then I think they just did one for Masters of Horror, too. That the Washingtonians. Was, uh, the Washingtonians. So I mean, th- this, isn't something that, this isn't something that hasn't been done before, but I think for a short, I think they did a very good job with this one, you know, getting right into, dare I say, the meat of it. <laughs> I, well, I think just given, given the, the length of the project, I, I think it, it definitely adds to that whole lexicon of the secret societies that are cannibals. But they also brought it back to where that section started because she basically tore his heart out Mm -hmm. figuratively figuratively in the opening, and then she eats his heart to wrap this. But if you really want to go that far with the whole ideal behind the story, that's just what he would want it, though. She, you know, yeah. death by her hand, and she eats him. That's their whole relationship was based on basically eating. So, you know, that would be would the one thing he wanted of, more yeah. than anything was, you know, in the end. Right. Yeah. So I, you can you can analyze a, a twelve minute short, you know, to death, but that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, and this, you know, this was great in that uh, it left a lot of that to be uh, discussed. It wasn't too preachy. 
you know, because we talked about some of the other ones. Oh, it was too preachy or oh, it was just kind of confusing. We didn't know, you know, were they trying to say something or not or what was going on. But this, you know, I think there is a lot that you can dive into here. Um, but they didn't try to really smack you over the head with anything, you know, because it was it was just visually insane. Uh, it stuck with you. I was I was just sickened by all this eating. And then I, I I didn't see the ending coming. I mean, did you guys were you guys surprised at how it ended? I, I that think they ate I think when it when we as soon as that she left his apartment and it flashes to the upscale party, as soon as I saw that, I kind of figured out this is what was going on. Uh, because again, I I'd seen so many of the the cannibalist society movies that once I saw and noticed everything, they were stark white too. The tablecloths were white, right. the floor was white, the walls were white. Again, anytime you see white all over the place and the only color is the people in it you know something's going to happen right so it's one of those one of those uh unconscious cues that after you see so many movies like this you, you start to pick up on is the use of color and the way that the way they film it so yeah yeah it kind of gives it away i mean they, they really you know you could do a little bit more than you know if you didn't stick to that mantra yeah yeah anna were you surprised how this ended up i mean did you no no i i saw it coming mm-hmm. uh, but I think the scene that disturbed me the most, and that was just simply going for the gross out, was when the one chick throws up yes. on her <laughs> and then just proceeds to start eating that, too. Yeah. Oh, I know. It was it was disgusting. And to, for me, I, I just didn't necessarily see it coming because I was thinking maybe they were trying to make all of this food eating, this gorging, kind of the focus of the horror and the focus of, of what's so bizarre and weird. And uh, I didn't really expect them to go that route with the cannibalism and the, just the gore fest that we see at the end, because this, they held nothing back. They showed everything. Well, uh, when it, it was her little flip comment of, I'll see you again. Yeah. That's really your tip-off there. Right, right. So. Now, Corey, you do know we do have uh, in... In some of the stories, we do have some notables. I mean, we've got Udo Kier, mm-hmm. and of course, Debbie Rashawn and Tom Savini. But uh, the old woman in uh, Mother of Toads, uh, I looked into that, is Catriona Maslow. She actually has a zombie tie. She was in City of the Living Dead. Really? And she was also in House by the Cemetery. So and she... I didn't catch it, so oh, maybe it's because right. she had her hair covered the entire time. That I really couldn't get a, you know the full picture of the face and all that. Uh, but yeah, she actually has ties to the Italian zombie era. So nice catch. So she knew Fulci, and exactly, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Actually, that now does. there's also you might you might have heard of this guy, the executioner that appears in Wet Dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's actually a guy named Billy Graham. They call him Half Breed. I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah, he was a wrestling manager and a musician uh, for the longest time. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah, he actually he actually did some work with Alice Cooper way back in the day. Uh, he actually worked on them with uh, for schools out. So there there were a few notables in here that kind of kind of pop back up again. Yeah. But really, it was seemed like there was it was either one extreme or the other. Either hey, I recognize a person, or hey, I've never seen this one before in my life. Yeah, so. and it, it's so weird that like you know all of us said we hadn't heard anything about this. It just kind of appeared, and you know nobody was really talking about it. But we got all these big names in it. I mean, it is kind of a big deal, and it's it's worth seeing. I think overall, it's I, I think. I think it's like it's a cool anthology for most of the segments. You know, of course, you know, like I said, a couple I really didn't like, but uh I don't know. What do you guys think now, you know, getting to the end and we kind of see 
the crazy thing with uh, with Udo Kier that we talked about um, kind of come to a culmination at the end. And uh, so well, it, it really it really harkens back to when like in the 70s and early 80s when the anthology horror was at its height mm-hmm. uh, and, and it does a nice job with that enough you know bringing back the old and then mixing it in with the newer concepts uh it, it definitely if you're a horror anthology fan you definitely want to check this one out but your straight horror fan there's there's a few things in it i mean i wouldn't necessarily make it a point of seeing but i i could definitely put it on a, on a list somewhere you know yeah yeah absolutely anna are you are you glad you saw this would you recommend it to people yeah, I would like to say I'm a big fan of the anthology type films anyway, and it it's definitely not the best I've seen, but it's not the worst either. So it it had several things that I think I think it has something for everybody. Let's let's put it yeah. that way. I, yeah. I think I would like to have seen a final story though, where it was based in the theater, and we got a little bit more of. Just what the theater was about, and you know, you understand they're they're basically it's trying to get new actors in. Yeah. But but I, I think you know when you when you have a few names like you did, and there was obviously some money behind it because it was well produced. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to have seen the final scene be based in the theater and kind of go more into what was going on with the theater. That's a great thought, and and me now that you say that, that would have been perfect um, because. Well, that it was the most interesting part of this anthology mm-hmm. for the most part. And it reminds me of one made, I believe, in the in the late seventies, maybe into the early eighties, that took that same concept, only it was a uh, a sideshow and Burgess Meredith. What was the name of that? That sounds familiar. I've got it. Torture Garden. Torture Garden, yeah, Torture Garden, that's right. Huh. And it reminded me of that, and in all honesty, this one was far better than Torture Garden mm-hmm. is bad. I really can't. Other than I love Burgess Meredith. Yeah, really. When you, that's when really you get past, the only you know, thing Trilogy of Terror and uh, what was the one on the train with the devil and God? Playing? God and Satan. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was an early 80s. The music was horrible for it because it was some kind of cheesy knockoff 80s wannabe hairband thing that was on the train. <laughs> train train to hell or, or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. We've got that one too. Yeah, I mean, that, when you put, if he says put Trilogy of Terror and that one together, you've got this movie. You kind of smash the, the worst parts of them together and a few of the best parts together. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, Trilogy of Terror, of course, is, is the, the hallmark by which you judge. Uh, John Carpenter's Body Bags. Body Bags was good. I didn't like his cutscenes, though. Yeah, uh, it's John he Carpenter. Was I, I, he was too playful with it. I he was he was going for the crypt keeper. I, I know kind of what he was, I know what he was doing, but he didn't do it well. Oh, <laughs> uh, see, I disagree. I like John Carpenter. And, and I wasn't a big fan of uh, uh, what was the Halloween one that just came out a few years ago. Oh no, trick or treat. No. Trick or treat. See, <laughs> and people raved about that, and I really I hated that. It, one. it had its moments, but I'm like the the, the underpinning story was way too weak. Yeah. Are, you telling me that, are you telling me that the school bus got lost somewhere? It's within walking distance of town and nobody's found it? Yeah, that was dumb. Yeah, yeah. there were there were such huge... The plot holes you could drive the school bus. Yeah, and there <laughs> yes. was that werewolf thing at the end of that. that was, yeah. yeah. yeah the, but, but, and that's the problem with the trilogy, is that you might get a few shining moments, but they're so overshadowed by the craft that's in it. Yeah. You know, it's almost lost. Oh, kind of like Dead Times. <laughs> yeah. No, well, let's not talk about Dead Times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, best, best George, George, I love you, uh, but you've got to stop writing shit. Just direct it, okay? Yeah. Uh, you know, survival of the Dead, if it taught us anything, it's that, you know, zombies don't ride fucking horses. Sorry, Amen. Rob. Uh, zombies don't ride horses. And 
George should just direct and edit. He really should not write anymore. Right. And it's nice to see an anthology that's not centered around a campfire. Uh-huh. There have yeah. been far too many where it's a bunch of people sitting around a campfire and everybody tells their little story. Or, or rappers doing anthology projects. Have you noticed this, friend? <laughs> this needs to stop. You know, Snoop Dogg has his place. It's not as an anthology horror host. No. And you recommended oh, I watch that, since, uh, which rem- thank you for reminding me of that because I still owe you. Well, I had to sit through it. I had to sit through it, so you didn't need to share your pain. Well, I thought we were this together. See, I thought you know. No, that's only if we watch it together. Oh, uh. well, that's how. Okay, I'm glad you clarified that. You can't inflict it on me later. Oh, I love it. Well, before we uh, wrap things up, I just want to go around. Give me a rating out of 10 here um, where where this falls in horror. Anna, what do you give it? I'm going to give a split rating. Um, If you're using the the, the rating system of 7 or above as a buy, is that how you're going with it? Pretty much. Yeah, yeah, loosely. I'm I'm going to go 5 overall. Six, though, if you're an actual fan of, if you go out of your way to watch anthology horror shows, uh, or if you're a fan of the old, you know, one-shot TV shows. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's definitely worth it. It's worth a watch. And really, this is one that kind of belongs on a Netflix instant. Yeah, yeah. That, that's really that's really its place. And if they would get placement there, I bet you that they would get a lot of, of viewers for it. Yeah. Um, and Walmart's got it for, what, 7 to $10, depending on where you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, but overall, yeah, I'd give it a five for typically any horror fan and a six if you're into anthology specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Anna, what do you think? Uh, I'd go a little better. I'd go, uh, probably about a seven to a 7.5 because if you, if you actually buy the DVD, they've got uh, full director's commentary, they've got the full behind the scenes and they've got interviews with all the directors. That we're on here. So when you consider you're only paying nine dollars for it. Oh yeah, yeah, a lot of great names and a lot of. You probably find it cheaper than that on Amazon too if you're if you're the buying. Oh, well, I'm sure. And it's just new out, and it's nine bucks at Walmart. You give it three or four months, and it's going to be in that three to five dollar bin. bin yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, and that's I think that's a great price. Um, and I'd, I'd be really interested in seeing that. I think uh, this is a rental, though. I mean, don't. Don't rush out and buy this. Don't spend a lot of money on it. I would say rent it. it first if you're an anthology fan. Yeah. That way that way you'll know if you want to see. Because you know, a lot of times you get from Redbox or things like that. Right. Really, let's face it, rentals, that's about the only thing you're doing now is either video on demand or you're going to Redbox because you know, all, the, all the, the actual brick-and-mortar stores are pretty much gone. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of the ones you get like from Redbox or from Blockbuster, if you notice, they're all stripped down. All it is is the movie and right. the coming attractions. right. Right. And, so uh, I'd say rent it first, and if you really liked it and you want to analyze it further, then go buy it. Yeah, yeah. So, so you get the direct commentary and the interviews and things. Yeah, so saying that, that you should only rent it, I'm still going to rate it highly um, because I was pleasantly surprised. Again, you know, going in, new horror anymore, man, it's, it's hit or miss, and it's mostly miss, um, and you just never know what you're going to get. So this is one of the I ones... Support, I support any horror project that is not a remake at this point. Yeah, it, eh, there you go. If you're not a remake, you're doing something original, I'll give you a watch. I might yeah. not like it, but I'll still give you a watch. Yeah, yeah, you got to give it a shot, and uh, I think there is there is some new horror out there that, that is fantastic, but it's just wading through everything else, man. It's, you know, you just got to find it and all this stuff. 
But uh, I'm going to give it a seven. Um, so I, I really enjoyed, uh, especially the cut scenes. I'm a huge Udo Kier fan. I just love that yeah. guy. So I mean, he, he was very underused in this. So. Yeah, and uh, but Tom Savini rocked it. I thought he did a great job. Um, sweets disturbed me and gave me all this crazy imagery. And uh, so, yeah, I, I thought uh, thought overall there were some great, great things in here that uh, made it worth seeing and worth my time, you know? Well, I really liked, I really liked with, with Debbie Rashawn because in the first she started off as just the abused wife and, you know, the mousy, and she did that classic Debbie Rashawn turn where all of a sudden at the end she's now the the aggressor. She's, you know, and she did it, she did it with a smile. So. Yeah. Well, and so did Savini. I mean, yeah. you know, you, you saw the photograph that the the guy is having these dreams about Savini's girlfriend, and then Savini ends up well, with really the guy's he, wife. And it was I really wish he just directs direct more. I, I know yeah. he wants to take his career in in the acting, and you know, he's pretty much done everything you can do in effects. But his direction is really solid, and I just don't know. If, if maybe he just doesn't think that's glamorous enough to be the director in, in this day and age, because you know, unless you're a Michael Bay or, uh, you know, you're not really getting, you know, a Shyamalan, you're not really getting the exposure that actors get. Yeah, so. yeah, and he does a lot with his school. You know, he teaches a lot of this stuff. So I don't know if directing is just kind of something that he does as he can, you know, and it's just. Well, it's like it's like he's a savant though, because some of the yeah. acting you see from him is just utterly horrid. But yeah. then you see him direct something, and it's it's fantastic. You know, it's, I, I guess it's the old maxim of a whore is really good at giving a blowjob. She just doesn't like it. You yeah. know, it, just because you're good at it doesn't mean you want to do it. So. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. And you don't know. So. Uh, well, I, I like to go out on a blowjob joke. So you know. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's that's perfect. That's perfect. And I, I do. I really appreciate. Uh, you guys uh, taking tonight to hang out with me and talk about this movie. I think we found a good one here. And, um, man, it's uh, it's been a blast. Uh, I just love talking to you guys. We could, you know, I hope we can do this again. And uh, Oh, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. Yeah, awesome. Well, oh, any final parting words here before uh, we call it a night? Anna, It's it's been wonderful talking with you again. And, yeah, uh, really, really good talking to you too, Corey. Absolutely, oh, I I appreciate that, and uh, hope to see you guys at the next Wasteland for sure. Um, I know I had to kind of, uh, you know, uh, not show up at the last one because I had some I had some personal things going on right at the last minute, and I had to stay home. But uh, oh, we definitely missed you. We definitely missed you. Oh well, you don't have to say that just because you're talking to me. I mean, come <laughs> oh, on. Oh no, no, we did, we did miss you. We kind of we kind of walked around all bummed, you know, because uh, oh, JB oh. JB Misfit Boy uh, cut me. Said man, he said. Corey's not going to be able to make it. And, oh, man. and we even brought two of our four kids to meet yeah. you. Oh, man. Now I feel even worse about this. <laughs> well, that's okay. We, we can make up for it. Uh, we can make up for it here uh, this next time around. So. We will. I, we guess, will. Uh, I guess JB was talking about uh, possibly doing a, a little unofficial midnight podcast reunion. So That would rock. That would rock. You know, Getting get root rot coming down and uh, see if maybe we can get McPierce to, to leave his uh, fine North Carolina environs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Oh yeah! Oh, I'd love to meet McPierce. Yeah, I've never actually got to hang out with him. And uh, oh, we uh, we just need to lay out the map and figure out what's the central location for everybody and plan a weekend. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Well, got to make it happen. So, guys, again, thank you, and uh, let's do this again here real soon. Oh, we sure will, Corey. Thanks right. a lot for your time, man. All right. Good night. Good, good night. I say every house in America should have an electric chair. And every man just once in his life should sit in it, just so that he can feel the power of millions of gallons of electricity flow through his veins.
I got an electric chair. That's all I need. You get an electric chair, Sheldon, you don't have to worry about the audience. You get an electric chair, you can tell them anything you want. As long as it's real. You get yourself an electric chair and they'll sit there all night long. Kind of a funny idea, sitting in an electric chair and doing a show. Well, think of the therapeutic value of an electric chair and all the money it is. Yes, sir. An electric chair in every home. The Electric Chair. A show about horror. Electricchairshow.com Electric Chair. Well, there you have it. That is what I got for you this week on The Electric Chair. Thank you to everybody uh, who has come on and talked with me this week. Of course, uh, Dave from Devour the Podcast. Uh, fantastic show, as I keep saying over and over again, but it really is. Um, also, Director Philip Gillette, what a guy. What a great guy. I can't see what he comes up with next, and I sincerely appreciate him coming on the show. And also to Eric and Anna Lowther, you won't meet two cooler people in the world. I really appreciate that they uh, took their time to review a movie with me, and I hope we get to do it again. So that's about it. That's about it. Just want to remind you, go pick up Z.A. Rex's new book on Amazon and enter the Troll Honor Blue Way. Blue Way. Blue Way. <sighs> yeah, it's been a long week. Blu-ray giveaway. And uh, thank you again to Florida Possum for offering that up. So... There you go. Thanks for listening, and join me again next week for another edition of The Electric Chair. Nie myślałem nigdy, że żyć będę w tak osobliwej chwili, kiedy Bóg najdotkliwiej upokorzy ludzi, zostawiając im wnioski, nie mówiąc już nic. Zostawiając mi takie, nie mogę cię śnieść!
Hit the hook!